ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Where the Big Boys Play. And as ever, I'm here with Chad. How are you doing, buddy? Doing good, Parv. How's it going today? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm in the middle of, uh, right in the middle of moving house, Chad, as we were just discussing before we came on air. Um, and to give you an idea, I started watching <laughs> uh, Slamboree at 9.30 this morning, and it's now 3pm, and I've just finished. So, <laughs> uh, just to give you an idea of all the distractions I've had to put up with. Um, and yes, we are doing Slamboree 93. Um, and uh, there's a lot of melters to get through, Chad, because there haven't been any clashes, basically, um, between... Well, was it? Uh, Super Brawl 3 and now. So we're, we're talking a chunk of time from February all the way to Mar- uh, to May. Yeah, we, I mean, I mean, we had the New Japan Super Show, but uh, no Meltzers for that because they just shoehorned that show in there on the schedule. So, yeah, it's a, it's a big gap. This is what we saw with their calendar year um, and something that I think next year, 1994, with Spring Stampede really helped. Uh, because you do have this large gap between Super Brawl and whatever was the May show. Um, you know, in 1992, it was Wrestle War. I'm surprised they don't want an April clash to um, go head-to-head with Mania, you know? Yeah, I don't know why they backload their um, their clashes so much. Mate, it's kind of weird, maybe with the TV schedule. Um, getting into like the finales of the TV schedule, but it's not like uh, TBS. I don't think was running any original programming in 1993, so it's kind of odd they didn't have like either a March or April uh, clash. It's time for the Wrestling Observer Extra, Wrestling Observer Extra. with Dave Meltzer. Let's get into the Meltzers then, and um, so we're all the way back in March, and this is going to be the March the 15th uh, Observer. And um, WCW champion Big Van Vader has reportedly signed an unprecedented four-year contract this past week, which would tie him up through the first week of March of 1997. This, if the story is accurate, would be the longest-term deal in WCW history. While no figures are official, um, basically the deal is going to be worth about $2.5 million over four years. So that's six hundred and twenty-five grand per year. Vader is 36. Um... Uh, had just a few weeks earlier signed a 200,000 deal for eight dates with the UWFI over the next year. Um, do you think Vader's worth all of this in uh, in '93? Well, it you know it did seem like Vader was kind of the crown jewel and somebody you want to build around. So in in most sports and things of that manner, I mean you essentially have to overpay for your studs. That's kind of what you see at, at different uh, points in time. So from that regard, I, I kind of uh, see this contract as justified for somebody of Vader's statue. 
200k for eight dates with U- UWF uh, I. That's kind of Brock Lesnar money, isn't it? <laughs> That's a lot. Um, but, I mean, look at how big those shows were. I mean, they did the stadium show with Takata um, in December of 2003, and then the rematches in Budokan, and it was sold out. So it wasn't like them shows did not draw that he appeared on. Okay, and uh, just, just a couple of uh, little things here. He says the return of Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, and Brutus Beefcake, surprisingly in the reverse order, has led to some of the best wrestling, uh, TV wrestling ratings since the early part of 91. So so basically that whole Money Inc. angle um, actually led to a spike in ratings, as did Flair Perfect Feud in the early part of 93. So does that surprise you? Um, I don't... I guess not particularly because I think back to my childhood and you thought about like the angles that you would see on superstars and challenge. And, um, I know just like the stuff you were seeing around that time, it did feel a little different for me, for someone that didn't grow up on like USWA or Memphis or uh, any other territorial TV television. It kind of had that vibe, you know. I mean, like, uh, when Jimmy Hart turned face, that was a a really big deal for me. Yeah. Um, Just as a kid, because this is somebody that, in my mind, he'd always been a heel. Um, And as we've discussed a few times before, you know, I was still a relatively new fan joining up in 90. So I wasn't completely burned out on Hogan. He was still my guy. So I had no problem with Hogan being in the mix still either. Okay, um, and just a couple of rumours about Hogan coming to WCW at some point. Uh, more on that later, I guess. <laughs> WCW changed two championships at its 3-3 three, three, uh, tapings in uh, Macon. That's in your neck of the woods, Chad. Um, so kind of it's in Georgia, at least, isn't it? Right, yeah, yeah it's about an hour and a half from where I live. Uh, Pillman and Austin won the unified tag team uh, titles, beating Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas in 24 minutes. Um, that sounds like a good match. Yeah, that'll be one we'll watch, uh, for our 93 TV special whenever we get to it. The finish saw Austin hit Steamboat over the head with the title belt, uh, to lead to the pin by Pillman. Um, and then the other big, uh, change, um, Meltzer actually does go into a bit of Hollywood Blondes, uh, gimmick history here. He said, um, the original Hollywood Blondes were Buddy Roberts and Jerry Brown a pretty successful tag team in the 1970s in many territories. You heard of them? Buddy Roberts and uh, Jerry Brown? Yeah, who was it? I think it was a couple of uh, days ago, Meltzer was actually talking about them on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I knew I knew they were coming up, but somebody asked him about him, you know, in just one of his uh, random tangents that he decided to answer on Twitter. But, but I saw that. And, you know, I saw the name Buddy Roberts, and so I did a little bit of research on it. It was pretty interesting to kind of see the track, what they had uh, for that team, because I was only familiar with kind of the, uh, I guess, the uh, the next version <laughs> that is, I would say, the most prominent in wrestling history. Yeah, you see, I, I always thought there was a tradition going back to, like, um, Patterson and Stevens. Stevens, and, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that that was... That Golden was Graham's. The, yeah. Right, yeah, right. Patterson and Stevens was kind of, just in my mind, like the first iteration of that team. Like, that was the genesis, but apparently not. 
So in addition to that, Paul Orndorff won the TV title in a tournament final win over Eric Watts with a back suplex. Uh, that match is going to air on Worldwide. Um, while Watts' push to the finals may seem like he's still being pushed, the, the way the bracketing was set up while his father was still around uh, was what was already taped. So Orndorff was either going to meet Watts or Vinny Vegas. Um, and in that case, uh, Watts made the most sense. It appears from the taping that Steamboat and Douglas are going to be broken up as a team since they uh, later appeared at a six-man tag team which ended with uh, Steamboat scoring a clean win on Barry Windham. So it appears that Windham and Steamboat will start a program over the NWA title. Uh, no real tip-off as to the role of Douglas. More on that in a little bit. Um, since they also appear to be pushing Too Cold and Bagwell as the new challengers for the Hollywood Blondes. Um, so, yep, that's all of that stuff from this one. I, I'm going to have to rattle through these, uh, Chad, because there's a ton of stuff to get through here today. Um, I think there's a, 11 in total that we need to hit. <laughs> right, right. We'll kind of just hit the uh, big moments of each. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that, uh, what, what you just ran through, that was pretty self-explanatory, I think, with what we saw on the show we're reviewing. Yeah. Most of the key stars and office personnel uh, of WCW are leaving for an England uh, tour uh, on 310 uh, for a six-match tour, which is already has four sellouts. Um, some Titan European monster size gates, since they are running some 9,000-seaters with $30 to average ticket prices. Six shows like that will do almost as much uh, money as six months of U.S. house shows. What do you reckon about that? Six sold-out UK shows for WCW is worth six months of US house shows. Right. And and I think you can really see, like, now, I guess in our 2016 worldview, this, this is kind of interesting that we're discussing this today in current landscape with WWE announcing their UK tournament or whatever yeah. uh, yesterday as we're recording it. New Japan supposedly looking at doing some shows in the U.S., uh, perhaps even a G1 show. Um, so, so there's a lot of expansion still going on. But um, I mean, based on what we've talked about with the house show attendance for WCW around this time, this really feels like a prominent market um, that they were able to tap into and uh, still felt hot in and were able to draw. So. Uh, Maybe they should have exploited it more. I don't. I don't know quite what else they could have done. Um, but but this seemed like a good start and a bit of momentum for their house show business, which has been atrocious for a few years now. I I always think the UK market is much underrated by American promoters. Like I remember I went to that TNA show, chair. That was Wembley Arena. That was like <laughs> shitty TNA, and it was pretty packed there. Massive right. loud crowd. I mean, you know. Why I reckon TNA would have had a better run if they just made the UK like the core of their business and like stop running shows in that shitty arena that they did. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you had TNA with that, and in India, and you also uh, Ring of Honor just finished a tour of uh, the UK, and it was successful too. Really good houses for them. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, but it's interesting because uh, I think back to '93 and like wrestling was on the wane at that time and um I, like like i've told you many times i'm not even sure how many kids knew who wcw were you know so it's pretty impressive that they were able to draw those gates um anyway highlights of march the 13th tv show saw barry windham storm off an interview when rick flair's name was brought up 
Um, David Boy Smith is in. He won a squash match against Tony Mero, who's Johnny Bad's younger brother. Uh, Rick Rude is back, and he challenged Dustin Rhodes for the US title. And um, Tex Slazinger and Shanghai Pierce are knocking around, and they challenge the Cole Twins. Now, the Cole Twins, Chad, are they uh, are they hard yeah. hate? Yeah, that's who that would be. This was kind of a long-running feud on uh, WCW syndication. Uh, Shanghai Pierce and Tex Slazinger, it's really weird that they're... I mean, they're in a few of our shows we'll review coming up, but, you know, not all over the place. They're not on Slambury, for instance. But on the WCW shows, and this was when I was watching at least Power Hour and uh, Saturday night most weeks and getting more into the product on a weekly basis, I mean, they were all over the place on those types of shows. I remember them as well. And um, they're two of my favorite names that Gary Capetta says, the the way he says... uh. Shanghai Pierce. <laughs> Shanghai Pierce. Shanghai Pierce is a pretty cool name <laughs> <It is>. overall. <laughs> um, okay, um, so let's move on to the next one then. So it's March the 22nd. Uh, one of the big uh, news things here is that um, Dino Bravo has been killed by the mob for his dealings in contraband cigarettes. Uh, I won't linger on that too long, but uh, it's a pretty big story here. And uh, as you'd expect, Meltzer goes into pages of detail on bravo uh, including uh details of what happened and his career uh any thoughts on dino bravo chad i know some people really love him so yeah he's i mean he's one of those guys that we've seen you know par in the last few years um just kind of in our corners of the internet and are watching the footage we've seen a lot of revision of i'll lump him there i'll lump uh, ronnie garvin uh, Greg Valentine and Ken Patera. Those are the most obvious ones. But these were guys that had a run in the late 80s WWF when a lot of uh, people we kind of around our age became fans and were just sort of seen as mostly job fodder mm-hmm. or uh, mid-card type acts. Um, I mean, certainly Dino Bravo in my mind, just him kind of pounding his chest, that blonde hair and stuff like that. Um, but where I think Bravo differs is the other guys I've named when I went back and watched kind of their prime, I've really enjoyed their work. And while Bravo, I think certainly was a better worker in the AWA stuff that we saw. Um, and he was a good draw for himself. I don't think he was ever, uh, more than I would say an adequate or pretty good worker. Um, certainly not in the level of like Patera in 1980, or Garvin in 1985, or uh, Valentine in 1982 and three. I wouldn't disagree with that, Chad. Nothing, uh, nothing special. I don't think Bravo, although um, sad the way he died. Um, Sting became WCW champion for the third time in England at Wembley Arena uh, when he pinned Big Van Vader, catching him with a power slam as Vader came off the ropes in 16 minutes of what was reported as a four and a half star match. Is that on tape anywhere, Chad? That yeah, we got we do have clips of this and handhelds. Um, we may try to dig that up. Um, it's yeah, this is interesting because our UK contingent and our comments and stuff have talked about like their memories of this and how big of a deal it felt like um, if they attended the show. So again, you know, they draw the big house, and I think they did the right move here, given the old kind of phantom title switch uh, for the audience there. 
did, was that the match that uh, Carl was at? Sounds like it. I think that. it is. I think Carl was at this one. Yeah, because the uh, the title changes back in um, what is it, Italy or it's yeah. it's Germany or something? It's not the UK. I'm pretty sure. It may be. Uh, don't quote me on that. We'll probably get to it. But yeah, I think Carl was at this one. Uh, tickets for the UK tour, which ended on March the 16th in Dublin, Ireland, range from um, <laughs> Melter showing his regional. Uh, it, 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 Dublin, Ireland is not in the UK, fans, okay? <laughs> Ireland's a different country. <laughs> and they, they had a pretty bloody like struggle to get independence, so. Just mentioning that for the Irish fans there. They, they wouldn't like to be called part of the United Kingdom. They're explicitly not part of it. Uh, anyway, um, tickets range from 8 to £22.50, uh, which is about $17.50 to um, $50 in those lovely pre-Brexit <laughs> exchange dates there, um, but, uh, which basically meant that each of the shows did about $250 to $350,000. Uh, um, that's not bad going at all. So, oh, no. Yeah. Um, WCW's uh, involvement with New Japan Tokyo Dome shows have done gates well in excess of $3 million. However, the largest gates of a WCW promoted show in the US uh, was, was 190000 for the Terry Funk versus Ric Flair match at Great American Bash 89 in Baltimore. Is that interesting? Uh, so the, the biggest gate ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, for, I'm glad this was brought up because I do remember this. Yeah, the biggest gate of WCW up to this point and for, I think, a little bit of time here is, uh, yeah, this UK tour. Absolutely amazing. So, <laughs> yep. Um, so, uh, the weather was the biggest news story in the US scene the past week. Um, basically, both of the big companies have had to cancel uh, shows due to weather. Won't linger on that too much. Um what else is going on here? Let me just uh, get down to the WCW section. It's always right at the end. Um, this 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 actually does seem like a period of momentum for WCW, and it's kind of interesting for us to talk about it. Um, yeah. Because do do we want to give credit to Watts or to Bischoff, his new vision, or just you know the fact that they were entering a new market? It's it's kind of weird as who who should um you know like who should kind of take take the credit for this momentum because it does feel like it's building a little bit um that's a good point chad um well i mean it's basically like the fruits of some of what's plan like he got the he got the roster down you know so he's left bischoff with a pretty good roster right he's trim left, the fat yeah. he's he's left him with a pretty healthy looking kind of um i don't want to say not like heavy profits but he's cut loads of the losses from previous successes um so i think it's a good point that you could give Watts some credit for this but i actually think that um looking at this show and in general i'd say that eric is kind of how can i put this taken some of the staidness of the product which is going to sound weird when we talk about this show because there's so many old guys on it but right, right. In, in general like there's something fresh seeming about what what is going on in the in the tv maybe yeah yeah it does feel like a little bit of a new direction um which yeah i mean it, it just feels like they're in a better state than they were really since flair left in 91 so for the uh first time in a couple years even with the dangerous alliance stuff there was still 
I guess, stuff surrounding it that was odd. Um, so, so now it feels like we're building some momentum just from a presentation standpoint. Um, details of Vader's contract was basically correct. So, six hundred and twenty-five grand figure is right. Um, after doing two dollar kids prices at the last Omni show, the March Omni card is going to be priced for one dollars and one cents for kids because of a tie-in with FM one hundred one radio. Is that favorite one of yours, Trev? FM one hundred one. I wonder if it's one hundred one point five, which is Kicks, which is the country station. Uh, which, yeah, would have been around this time uh, one of the more prominent um, radio stations in Atlanta, probably the top like FM radio station in Atlanta uh, besides talk radio. Still still ranks pretty highly. The latest WCW lack of organization story. Um, in March the 12th, Toronto Star columnist Norm DeCosta reported an April 17th WCW card at the Sky Dome with tickets going on sale on March the 15th. The next day, on the WCW syndicated show in Toronto, there was not one mention of the card. On March the 15th, no tickets were available, and folks at Skydome claiming no knowledge of the WCW even running a show. Actually, given DaCosta's track record, this may be a snafu brought on WCW, rather than one brought on by themselves. So, basically people were turning up to the Skydome for an event that was never going to take place. Um, so there we go. I'm going to blame DaCosta there, not WCW. What do you reckon? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> um, okay. So, basically, I'm on to the next one now. And there was there was a big bash at the Cauliflower Addy Club. Um, this is the March of 29th, Meltzer. And um, basically, there are loads of legends at the Cauliflower Addy. Um, and Gordon Soley was there mainly filming loads of interviews uh, for promotional footage for the Slamboree event on March the 23rd from the Omni. Um, and uh, quite a good idea, because, you know, all these guys are going to be in the same place at the same time. Why not have a chat with the ones who are going to be on the show? So I thought it was a good idea uh, to be there. Right, um, yep. Names we've been given as appearing at Slamboree include Johnny Valentine, Ivan Koloff, Vern and Greg Garnier, Dusty Rhodes, Magnum TA... Mike Graham, Ollie Anderson, Fabulous Moolah, bafflingly, uh, Blackjack Mulligan, Wahoo McDaniel, Red Bastine, Wrestling 2, Dory Funk Jr., Don Morocco, Luthers, Harley Race, John Tollos, Dick Murdoch, Thunderbolt Patterson, Ox Baker, Jimmy Snooker, Jim Brunzel, The Crusher, Baron Von Raschke, and Tully Blanchard. Almost 100% right there, Chad, apart from one. <laughs> Who, yeah. we'll, who we'll get on to. Um, <laughs> well, he was there. He just uh, didn't appear. <laughs> Info we've received is that Jack Briscoe, who had committed earlier and whose name was listed, has pulled out. So Briscoe was set to be on the card too. Uh, As we'll get to, he's probably the most glaring omission. I'd say him and Terry Falk. Um, I, I think those two, uh, but, we'll, but we'll get into that yeah. and how this ranks. Terry, Terry was at the Cauliflower Alley. Um, I'm guessing he didn't appear because he was uh, doing business with with Anita around this time. I want to say. Yeah, this. I mean, he did the death match on that was May fifth. So this is I, kind I of like know. this is kind of like core FMW uh, 
uh, period here, isn't it? When they were pioneering all those new matches around this time. Yeah, that, well, him and Onita in that uh, the uh, bomb match—that's probably the uh, peak of the death match type style. And listen to this now, Chad. I think from the hindsight of 2016, this is really interesting. Lo and behold, the WWF beat WCW to the punch in the Hall of Fame idea. WCW was planning on using Slamboree to announce the Hall of Fame. So the WWF, on March the 22nd, Monday Night Raw, announced its Hall of Fame and its first inductee, Andre the Giant. Um, Bill Apter was introduced as being part of the concept to honour names from the past. I don't believe he's accepted the spot. There's a good chance that the next name to be inducted will be Buddy Rogers. Now, given what a massive thing the Hall of Fame has turned into... Isn't it interesting that it was yet another Vince trying to beat the competition to the punch in the first instance? Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think they had any visions of what it would become. But, yeah, this is interesting in that this really is kind of the genesis and the origin of something like this for both WCW and WWF. Yeah. So, um, and I, I guess it explains why it wasn't a bigger deal in 93, because they literally just did... They literally just announced it on Raw. I've seen that Raw. And they kind of do a re- re- little retrospective on Andre and basically just mention that this event took place to one of the big man type thing. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, anyway. Can you believe, says Meltzer, that it only took three weeks for Ric Flair to get boring? Unless he gets something to say in a hurry, nobody is going to care when he does have something to say. So this is basically, he's come back and he's doing flair for the gold, right? Right, yeah. Just doing his uh, vignettes. If that wasn't enough, can you believe that there is talk of expanding the road schedule to doing three shows per night? Ole Anderson was in Minnesota this past week and talked with Hawk. With Hawk, Sid and Davey Boy, those guys sure don't have a clue um, ones who, what's going on behind the scenes in their own industry. Okay. Eric Bischoff is telling people he's going to take himself off the air. So another play-by-play man is coming in uh, because it leaves Tony Schiavone as the only one in the company. Best bet to get the nod is former ring announcer Tony Gilliam. Well, I mean, what about Gordon Soley? Yeah, I guess they just uh, put him out to pasture at this point, essentially, besides his uh, special appearances role. I don't know what he was doing. Was he doing any syndication? That'd be an interesting question. I'm not sure. I, I want to say he was still doing the hotline. Has, um, has, right, has Lance right. gone back at this point yet? Is he still not? Oh, this is right around when Lance either goes back to USWA or it's it's coming. I can't remember if it was in 93 or 94 when he makes his return, but uh, it's right around this period. What, what was Crispy Cruz up to? Was, it, was he gone? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Um, God, I want to say, is it Mike Tanay who comes in? Uh, no, not for a while. He's not for a while. Um, I, I don't really know who gets the nod if anybody does. I don't remember this Tony Gillian or whatever. As fans will come to know in later years, Chad, I have a special hatred for, for Mike Tanay. So uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, the March 20th DBS show was taped the previous night and was probably the most boring show in years. Aside from a good Cactus Jack versus Rick Rogers match, it was all squashes but one. So, there we go. Um, they've already filmed a music video of Van Hammer 
and Chris Walker riding motorcycles, which means that if Watts was still in charge, they'd probably start doing jobs on television within two weeks. A little, little melts a joke there. Uh, WCW <laughs> sent a fax to cable operators around the country on March the 10th, um, or three days after the Japan Super Show, explaining why the Steiners match didn't air. It wasn't that WCW backed down to a threatening letter from the WWF attorneys, as reported, but that the WWF actually got a court order prohibiting WCW from airing the match uh, late Friday afternoon, so WCW literally had to fill in a hole at the 11th hour. So that explains why the Steiners match wasn't on the air. Yeah, and that explains kind of part of the stuff we were talking about with that uh, fill-in juniors match where Ross isn't calling the match anymore. Despite, yeah, um, I, I just think it's really inter- really funny to me that a cable operator would, would want to know stuff like why it wasn't a status well, match on I, Well, I wonder if they got calls asking for refunds. That's possible. That is possible. And that, that would make it then kind of cable operator business as to why. Right, right. Yeah. Um, despite what was reported before, Johnny B. Bad hasn't signed. Um Chris Benoit's name is listed for several house shows in April, although Benoit hasn't had any contra- contact with WCW since leaving. So currently Benoit is independent, but he's being advertised. I'm guessing they wrap that up in the next couple of weeks because he's on this show. No return to the no return dates to the UK were announced upon completion of the tour. Word is the next overseas tour will hit Germany rather than the UK. Um, I mean, the Germans have always been big wrestling fans too, you know. Like the, those German tours have usually pulled in decent money too, haven't, have they not? Yeah, that is true. But I mean, you just had this hugely. I mean, the biggest gate you've ever drawn. Like, um, you know, there should have been something uh, proactive there. That like, oh, hey guys, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they knew what the ticket advances were. So say to yourself, hey, this is looking pretty good. Let's go ahead and map out when we can announce a return date. Um, you know, I mean, the old adage of an intermission, the tickets for the next show go on sale. Um, so that would have been beneficial if in the UK they had announced, hey, we're coming back so-and-so date. I, I, st- I still think there's a trick to be made, I, I, even right now. And I, I, I guess the WWE are trying to move to fill this, but I think that if... Uh, company with decent money behind it really made a go of the uk market that could be a deal here like well right. we'll see i mean we'll see what the uh, itv people end up doing with this world of sport mm. um that, that'll be i mean i mean the the uk tournament was a direct kind of retaliation to that and them uh, like the, the guys that are signed for wwe uk they basically signed a weird contract where they're getting paid a certain uh, guarantee and they're not, you know, WWE. They can work independent dates, but they can't work ITV or what culture. That's interesting. Supposedly. So so the WWE is kind of dictating who they can work for. But like Revolution Pro, Progress, um, we haven't heard yet that there's any uh, problems working with those type of groups. I'm, I'm telling you now, Chad, all ITV need to do is just say, right, we're going to put on for this hour, 8 p.m. Wednesday or make it a Saturday. It doesn't really matter the d- day of the week. If they stick that on in prime time, that's it. It's got an audience instant. It doesn't matter because 
you know, people will watch that regardless of, do you know what I mean? Like just people will right, just put right. it on. Um, it's, it's entirely up to them if they want to make it a deal or not. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's why you saw, I mean, of these WWE UK names, you saw the release. There was, uh, I would say three biggish names and Pete Dunne, um, Trent Seven and Tyler Bate, those are three guys that have a good bit of buzz, and Jordan Devlin to a, a lesser degree, although he's bigger in Ireland. Um, so, so those are kind of your four guys, but uh, I, I think a lot of the guys they asked, uh, you know, like it, Zach Saber, uh, who knows, but that's probably the biggest name right offhand. Um, you know, he's not a part of this, you, you, and it's you, possible. You get what I'm saying, though. It literally doesn't like these names don't matter. If you have, let's just call it four million, four million eyeballs, and the guy in the match is, it doesn't really matter who it is. Let's just say it's like Bobby Roode or or one of these type of guys, you know. Um, let's just say it was him. It doesn't matter because now four million people have seen him, and he's all of a sudden he's a star. Do you know what I mean? Like they have the, like just yeah. by putting them, just by putting them in the slot, it elevates whoever's whoever's in those matches. So, but ITV would be the equivalent of what CBS, NBC, like one what, of those what, type what, channels. What one of those basically? But it depends right. if they bury it at twelve a.m. or something. Or right, right. I mean, if it's in prime time, they're gonna have a. Um, you know, if it's in prime time, they'll have viewership for sure. Yeah. But again, if it's in prime time, if that's what they decide to do. I mean, there's pressure because whatever usually airs in prime time, I mean, there's like that low barometer that something has to pass in viewership yeah. for it to be successful. I mean, I don't know how many millions that is, but well, I mean, you know, over here, there's shows all the time that get two, three million viewers in prime time that get canceled just because. If I had to make an analogy across to things that I know have been put on at decent times that have gone over gladiators was a deal do you remember you had american gladiators yeah american gladiators right we had gladiators that was huge uh for a period and it was stupid not a million miles away from wrestling and that got over no um we've got a show called robot wars which is literally robots fighting right right and that has that's got a decent following and it's been brought back by popular demand so I just don't see any reason why wrestling couldn't get over if it was given a decent push. The, the, the trouble here in the UK is that you had certain TV executives who just hated wrestling. I mean, that's why that's why World of Sport and all of that was taken <clears throat> off air in the first place. They just believed well, that it was rubbish. So, Yeah, um, well, it's, well, it's going to be interesting to see because, like I said, the WWE announced in the UK thing, that was a definite kind of territorial... Uh, reactionary move to the uh, ITB announcement. I, I can't see it as any other way. So, so sorry, guy, we got a little bit off track here, but um, I, I guess my old UK boys there will enjoy this talk. So let's <laughs> let's, let's move on. Um, so the the problem in Toronto that I talked about. Do you remember the uh, the Toronto Skydome thing? Right, right. Uh, the issue was apparently the fault of the newspaper uh, rather than WCW which announced tickets are going on sale one week earlier than they were. Tickets did go on sale on March the 22nd for a 418 card at the Sky Dome, with a large ad in the paper with a lineup of Vader vs. Sting on top, with Barry Windham vs. Ron Simmons for the NWA title, 
weird that yeah. Ron Simmons still knocking around. Uh, yeah, that's not much of a juicy matchup, is it? Uh, Flair's going to do a live Flair for the gold. Woohoo! Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, just put him in the ring. Jesus. Um, all seats are $15 for this show. So, And then there's a March the 14th New York show with a similar lineup. Uh, including Sting versus Vader, Rude versus Cactus Jack, Steamboat versus Wyndham. That looks tasty. Uh, Hollywood Blondes versus Bagwell and Scorpio. Plus Flair doing a live Flair for the goal. I mean, <laughs> so I guess. Um, and then Davy Boy Smith leaves this week for all Japan for one month. So he's still doing some Japan dates. Um, Jesse Ventura is doing a movie role with Sylvester Stallone, as mentioned on TV. So this may be one reason why he was missing, although we were told he was injured, weren't we? Uh, we were told he was in hospital, and that's why he's not on the Slamboree show. So maybe there's more on that in a second. Um, the original plan for Bill Watts uh, was to have Flair versus Rude at a June clash um, in a double main, and this has been changed uh, now. Okay, let's keep on uh, going. Um, this is April the 5th, 93 now. And uh, just a few days before, it's traditionally the biggest show of the year. Um, uh, and what will probably be the biggest uh, money women's wrestling show in history. A lot of confusion and rumours, filled dressing rooms and strange events have filled the airwaves. Although he has yet to receive his release from WCW, Jim Ross tried to pull off an angle reminiscent of when Vince McMahon... Uh, took over the TBS time slot nine years earlier. On Sunday, Ross announced on his radio show on WSB in Atlanta uh, that he had joined the WWF broadcast team and had Vince McMahon, Bobby Heenan and Shawn Michaels as guests on a WrestleMania preview on his radio slot uh, that is sponsored by WCW. Actually, Ross himself didn't make the announcement of him joining WF as an announcement. Uh, as an announcer, Vince McMahon did. So what do you think of this as a play? Uh, Ross had uh, basically all these guys on his radio show when he was um, hadn't quite signed with WF yet, and he's using Vince on that show to announce his uh, move. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice little move by Ross there. <laughs> I guess he was making sure he'd never ever be hired by WCW again. <laughs> uh, supposedly, but I mean, he uh, he kind of pisses away his relationship with WWF pretty soon too. So there you go. Okay, so Eric Watts and Arn Anderson became a tag team at the tapings on March the 29th uh, in Monroe, L.A. Uh, this show drew 5,000, but no doubt that was the result of a significant papering and or discounting. They basically did a similar angle on Smoky Mountain in which Anderson and Bobby Eaton had a confrontation with Anderson, saying that Eaton ran off on him when he was injured. As they got into it, Tex Slazinger and Shanghai Pierce attacked Anderson with Eaton and Watts made the save, which led to a tag team where Anderson and Watts beat Eaton and Pierce. So all that sounds fascinating. Um, yeah, Arn's still wasting away. Now, I mean, you know, he was in the feud with Watts, now he's teaming with him. So a, a rough go. Add Nick Bonkwinkle, the Sheik, the Assassin, and Joe Blanchard to the list of legends who will appear on Slamboree. We didn't see the yeah. Sheik, did we? No. How did, did we see Joe Blanchard? No, we didn't see Joe. Yeah. We didn't see Joe or Tully. Um, yeah. Larry Zabisco has also asked, uh, was also asked to appear on the show, and we know he does appear. All the legends <laughs> are receiving 
so get this, Chad. All of the legends are receiving five hundred dollars plus transit and hotel expenses to appear. Um, WCW will be hosting a dinner with the legends for twenty uh, for twenty five dollars the night before Slamboree and meet the legends at the Omni Hotel earlier that afternoon. Now I think this is actually really pioneering. Right. Considering, oh, yeah. considering how wrestling has gone, like, um, and it's interesting how different it looks now from. Like, if you read, like, Scott Keith and all of the guys, like, they were really shitting on this whole idea. But looking back on it now, I think it looks very different. I, do, I think they were well ahead of the curve doing this sort yeah, of Yeah, like, you're, this is essentially kind of like a WrestleCon before WrestleCon. Yeah. They announced the Omni show at Sunday that 40 legends would appear, which would be a bill of around $30,000 to put this idea together, and passed out flyers which listed the names of Flair, Vern Garnier, Sting, The Assassin, Dusty Rhodes, Bockwinkle, Blackjack Mulligan, and said that both the WCW and NWA World titles will be defended at the card. Surprisingly, they are running the Omni on 4.24, another card before Slamboree. The event originally booked for Jacksonville, but cancelled because they had a big-time uh, tractor pull in town that night, and WCW <laughs> didn't want to compete with that. What's a tractor? What's a big-time tractor? What's that? Uh, it's basically where a tractor pulls stuff in the mud. It's uh, quite a uh, redneck event. I've been to. Uh, I've never been to a tractor pull. I have been to a mud bog. Um, I, is... I think I saw something like that on like an episode of Borat once, or like Ali G, or something like that. I'm yeah, sure, I'm sure he goes to something like that at one point. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Big Van Vader uh, missed a few house shows this past week because he was hospitalised with an illness that was described to me as being like a bad flu. Uh, <laughs> so the bigger they are, the harder they fall, I guess. Um, right. Finished saw Harley race in the cage above the ring, um, throw down a leather strap from the cage during a ref bump. So this is another Vader versus Sting match. It seems like they had many more than just the three matches. I wonder if uh, people have managed to capture these. Um... That one sounds interesting, too, with Harley in the cage above the ring. So yes, yeah, a little shark cage. I like that. The Omni show at uh, March the 28th was said to have been a boring show, except for a 45-minute draw with Pillman and Austin versus Steamboat and Douglas. Said yeah. to be excellent. That sounds amazing. Yeah, that could be uh, worse than very good, I would think. Um, with only five heels making it to the house shows during the week, which was Pillman, Austin, The Wrecking Crew, and Pierce... For whatever reason, the tag, uh, the same tag match, we had to go 30 to 40 minutes per night to carry the five-match card. So basically, they were asking these guys to go long to paper up the rest of the, the like the weakness of the card. Interesting. Um, the Bruise Brothers were already bolting for WWF. Dutch Mantel shot at coming in, uh, went out of the window. So there had been talk of him doing color, but he's too country, uh, according to some people. Um, they won out over the fact that he's a good commentator. What do you think of that? Uh, Dutch Mantel considered too country for WCW in 1993. <laughs> I guess so. Um, yeah, that, that, that sounds like a, a Bischoff narrative does sound to like, me. Does sound like Bischoff to me. Um, yep. The 323 center stage taping saw most of the crowd stay until the end uh, because they were giving away free t-shirts to anyone who stayed until the end. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, that turned out to be a mess because of the delay it took in getting everyone out of the building. Um, yeah. So. What a marketing boy. Eric Bischoff did voiceover commentary um, 
with Larry Zabisco on the match between David Boy Smith and Vinnie Vegas, which aired from Manchester, England. Um, and they acted like they were broadcasting live from Manchester. But then they talked about Vader being world champ. Sting was the champ when the match uh, took place, which is a minor mistake, at least if you consider the WCW title a minor title. Oh, God. Mel- Mel- Melter's jokes get better and better. Um <laughs> Lots of talk that Flair and Anderson will be programmed as a face tag team to work against the Hollywood Blondes. Um, Johnny B. Bad's contract expires at the end of the month, continuing uh, negotiations there. He might be going to WWF. Uh, Bill Watts' final severance check from WCW is, su- is supposed to come this Monday, at which time expect an interview slash tirades about his uh, ouster and the wrestling business, probably in Wrestling Flyer. So there we go. Among the plans for Slamboree is a reunion of the original Four Horsemen. That's Ole Anderson, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and Tully Blanchard, of course. Blanchard, who's 39, and I'll note only 39, that's pretty young for a wrestler, who has been working as a preacher since retiring from wrestling three years ago, has made noises about wanting to come back, although to say that anything more than preliminary feelers would be premature. There have also been talks with Brian Lee. Um, So there we go. Um... What else happened here? The set for the Flair for the Gold TV segments um, cost $35,000. Oh, good. I believe yeah. he'll be doing TV segments in Toronto and at the Paramount in New York. Flair's Gold Jim in Charlotte is, is uh, doing great advanced business. So, of course, he's opened up the Gold's Gym. Right, right. So that's doing well. Um Based on what we're being told, Vader's four-year contract is 625. So that's that story. He's just reiterating it every yeah, year. Yeah. So, but I guess did he get out of that, or was he released? Because you know, if that started now, that'd have him up to 1997. He debuted in WCW. Uh, I mean, in WWF in '96. Uh, well, I, I guess we'll find out because it seems like that contract does not run until the end. Right. Because we know he so, leaves. Um, right. Right. Keep keep that in mind. Um, Does anyone know the rationale behind Eric Bischoff's new TV concept to cut off the ring announcer's mic during introductions? It makes it uh, like you're watching the television show through a window from the outside. Um, Yep, I don't know why he does that, but uh, something that happens. Um, In fact, they do that on uh, old episodes of All-Star Wrestling. For some reason, um, Vince cuts Gary Michael Capetta out of all of that as well right right. it is weird um while the number of fans at the a team house show this weekend was fine with the discounted kids price that's uh one dollar and one cents in atlanta the gates were in the ten thousand to twenty thousand dollar range so i mean that's really a massive difference between the uk shows and these shows that they're running yeah insane uh the largest cable system in chicago is dropping tbs from its system Talk of uh, Sid Vicious and Hawk coming in, but no imminent starting dates. And uh, WCW has been handing out marketing surveys at house shows. So there we go. Um, Over to the next one. Uh, Johnny B. Bad did agree terms for a new contract, which is reportedly guarantees him $500 per match, with a minimum of 200 matches per year, plus a $50,000 starting bonus. And get this, Chad... $31,000 $31,000 wardrobe bonus. <laughs> oh, there we go. Nice. So you can buy a lot of glitter with $31,000. That's, that's, that's a pretty interesting thing to negotiate because, 
I, I think that's kind of an underrated aspect is if you're one of these uh, wrestlers that have a, I mean, you talk, you know, Flair talks about how much money he spent on his robes. Um, so getting that built in, that's a, that's a pretty good perk. Just doing some quick mathematics here. And that's about a hundred grand. Track. Yeah. A hundred grand, uh, guaranteed essentially. Uh, plus 50, that's 150,000 plus 31 right. for... That's the not, wardrobe. I mean, that's not bad money for... for, for no, bad. no, no, not at all. Um, WCW sold approximately $450,000 worth of merchandise on the UK tour. So there you go, Carl was, ah. a, Carl was a massive mark in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> um, expect Missy Hyatt to be the guest on the touring flair for the gold segments, which is what all those interviews are likely building towards. The first flare for the gold segments were taped in uh, April the 6th, Columbus, Georgia. Start airing on Worldwide in about three weeks. Now, I remember flare for the gold, Chad, not being very good. I've gone back and watched some of them, and they're not very good. Um, do you agree? No. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, just an awkward kind of sequence where it didn't it did feel natural. Um, this, this is a really weird point in Flair's career. <laughs> Like this whole year to build up the Starcade, just a uh, an odd situation where you know you thought he'd come back in as the man that he'd always been in NWA and WCW, and it didn't happen. He's kind of wasting away here doing these Flair for the Gold segments. He, he almost felt like he was uh, like an I don't know, like an elder statesman in some way. It was weird. The fact that he's like a baby face and like a playboy it's weird i don't know the whole character yeah it don't really work yeah yeah that's true um tully blanchard had a meeting with wcw this past week um he said he caught the tag title match that uh was aired on worldwide uh he gave it four and a four stars plus uh that's the hollywood blondes versus pillman and uh versus douglas and steamboat um i think that's the one we mentioned before that that we're gonna watch for the yeah well they 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 have uh, it's either like three or four, and most of them will probably try to throw on because that's a really good feud that um isn't represented that well on the super shows. TBS on April the third uh, may have been even worse than the previous weekend. Why did they air replays of such obviously botched up finishing moves? Why did that Eric Watts and Brad Armstrong versus Wrecking Crew match even air? It was minus two stars. By the way. Don't the Wrecking Crew look just like the Bushwhackers? Al Green and Luke Williams look like twins or father and son. The best part of the show was Shivani and Ventura were like Abbott and Costello. The bad part was that almost none of their material had much to do with the product. Classic comment was Ventura, Ventura calling Muta Windham title one of the classic matches of all time. Right up there with that memorable Ron Simmons Barbarian match from Philly. So there we go. Uh, but nice to see Meltzer giving a... Uh, Tony Jesse team props. Ole Anderson and others are looking for more newcomers, a la the Cole twins, to bring in. So Ole Anderson's basically talent relations at this point, I guess, um, as we've talked about before. Now we're on to uh, the next one, and Tully Blanchard has reached an agreement to come in with his first appearance being at Slamboree, which will lead to working house shows in June. I believe Blanchard will reform his tag team with Arn Anderson as babyfaces. Blanchard, who had been working as a preacher since retiring from wrestling in 1990, has said numerous times that he wouldn't return to wrestling and has been critical of the profession in some newspapers' interviews. Now, obviously, this doesn't happen, Chad, but uh, would you have been interested to see Arn and Tully as a babyface team? I don't know if 
that would have worked. You know, as much as I love both guys, like something about Tully as a face does not really work for me. Seems weird um, to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it just seems, uh, yeah, it just doesn't seem like it, it would work out, to be honest. From a working point of view, I could see Tully being a very good face in peril and Arm being a pretty good hot tag. That's, I think that's how they'd work it most of the time, um, purely in the ring. But in terms of personalities, it's very hard to see Tully as a babyface for me. Um, even though he did work as a babyface, if you ever watched some of that Southwest stuff, you know. Um, right, right. The Cactus Jack versus Big Van Vader Brutality Feast airs um, on April the 17th on TBS. I don't know how much, if any, will be edited, but probably the most brutal U.S. match in a long time. you seen that one? Vader versus Cactus Jack TV match? Yes. Uh, this is another series that we'll watch for the TV special. Um, I'll save my thoughts for when we get there and when I'm able to rewatch. But while I like those matches, I don't think any of them are necessarily great. Uh, so, therefore, they can be a little bit disappointing in my eyes. When I was going through 1993, I was really looking forward to that series overall before we got to the Lost in Cleveland stuff. And, um, I, I mean, again, I thought the matches were very good, but none were great. Yeah, Meltzer actually says he, think, he thought the match was too brutal since Jack was hospitalized after it was taped and needed 24 stitches, 17 above the eye. The most talked about non-wrestling item revolves around a front page story this past week in Atlanta uh, talking about the potential sale of the Turner Empire to Time Warner and TCI. How this may or may not affect the wrestling operation at this point is only speculative, but people are talking. Oh boy, he has no clue, does he, (laughs) Uh, about what's going to happen. Because we will be hearing again from Time Warner uh, as the years go on, Chad, won't we? I know there's an AOL time yeah. in the end. Oh, yeah. They're, they're just starting to uh, loom around. Um, Rick Rude was on the Howard Stern show on April the 9th with Fred the Elephant Boy, uh, who's Fred Schreiber, to plug the Paramount Theatre show on April the 14th. Stern just cr- kept cracking on Fred and Rude got in hardly any words. Originally, uh, Cactus Jack was to be the guest, but uh, I guess things just happen where Cactus was cancelled because Stern was going to do a special show on uh, April the 12th, which Stern then ended up not doing anyway. So anyway, Howard Stern, he's like a kind of shock jock, right? He's kind of, uh, is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, biggest, um, by far biggest kind of radio type personality, I'd say, in the U.S. right now. Uh, and has been for many years. Still going strong on Sirius. Uh, Rick Flair is scheduled as a guest on the Wrestling Insider Show, um, taping at Santa Staged. Ron Simmons in the midst of contract negotiations. Um, Vent- Jesse Ventura was still cracking on Jim Ross this past week, saying there's nothing uglier than a fat man in a toga. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's hilarious that he's still getting digs in. <laughs> um Ever notice that Max Payne looks like a giant sign as Terry Sims on a major acid attack? So there we go. <laughs> giant sides Terry Sims on on acid attack? Well, I guess we'll talk about Max Payne in a second. Um, yeah, 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 we'll get to him. Um, so what else? Uh, Dustin Rhodes is out with a shoulder operation. Shane Douglas had a similar injury on his right side, um, which is the side he does everything with. Somehow the tag title match is still going to be around 35 minutes per night. 
uh, at about the three and a half star level, but they are working around the injury mainly because Ricky Steamboat carries the action. So uh, they're really pounding that team into the ground, aren't they, on the road? You know, 40 minutes a night. I mean, Steamboat's in his 40s, isn't he? He's about 40 years old, 40, 41. Uh, yeah, he's got to be up there. I mean, I, I, I know he's got the fitness to do it, but I'm not surprised that uh, Douglas got injured when they're doing it that hard. Okay, well, we're on to April the 26th now. Uh, only a few left. I told you this was going to be a monster uh, melt says this week. WCW's return to New York and their debut in Madison Square Garden on April the 14th turned out to be one of those nights the company would just soon forget ever happened. Uh, and the headline is that the show was disastrous at MSG. Do you want to know how much they did? Well, it's here. 4,500. So there we go. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which, you know, I mean... I mean, that's still a decent amount of people, but yeah, when you're talking about the garden, that looks bad, doesn't oh, it? Oh, actually, no. That that that's actually the capacity of the Paramount uh, Theater, part of the. MSG oh yeah, Paramount. they did. Oh, so yeah. they did what NXT yeah. did and yeah. ran the theater. But but actually, they drew only two thousand nine hundred paid, um, with about three thousand five hundred in the building. Um, that's with comps and papering up the cracks for a forty-seven thousand dollar house. Which is, I mean, you know, you're running New York and you're, that's your gate. It's really poor, really poor. Um, so there we go. <laughs> Any thoughts about them in New York? I mean, it's hopeless, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that, that that again feels like what NXT just did when they ran it. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't like that. Of course, that's not great at all, but... I mean, New York is uh, is a WCW town, and it, I mean a WWF town always will be. And even when like WWF was prominent in the '80s, I mean, you saw some of those Omni house shows that they run in some of those gates, and those were atrocious too. So, certain towns are just going to be dedicated to certain promotions in that regard. I just want to say that one thing though: when I've had arguments with people in the past, especially on like you know. Vince being a genius and all this sort of thing, they'll always point to the populations of these places as being one reason why he isn't. Like, almost like all you've got to do is turn up and you'll get a show. I think shows like that proves that you can't just turn up in New York and have a big audience. Like, you know, if you don't promote it well, you're not going to get a good crowd, right? No? I mean, am I wrong? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess, though, I don't know what they could have done, though, to have uh, benefited that. Like, don't you think that there's still just a, uh, I mean, I mean, we see it now. Like, I mean, look at how the revisionist history sometimes that you see in WCW compared to WWF. I mean, even like the, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I can go ahead and say it. I mean, like somebody like Scott Criscolo. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a diehard WWF guy that grew up in WWF country that has been presented the wrestling world through the eyes of the WWF. So therefore his, his, version of the story sometimes uh, goes accordingly okay all right cool i'm not i'm not gonna let's not this show is gonna be long enough already so let's not get into it but i do and i do understand what you're saying there are people who are kind of butter one way or the other um the black hearts that's tom nash and dave johnson are scheduled to start on april the 20th at tv and already being booked for house show dates i believe that charlie norris is also getting a tryout a tryout 
Black Hearts, Tom Nash and Dave Johnson. Yeah, uh, they, if they were around, they weren't around for long. Charlie Norris was the uh, more prominent of those three you just mentioned. Uh, one of the Braves. Um, hold on. Uh, Sid Vicious is going to be around uh, in June. Uh, I don't believe the deal is complete yet, but Tolly Blanchard. Um, uh, negotiations are underway. He's being offered $500 per night, but he's looking for a more old-fashioned yearly contract. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cactus Jack versus uh, Vader aired this past Sunday. Edited so that none of the blood was visible on the TV. Um, it was beyond brutal in what Vader did to Jack, but I'm not sure the effect of the brutality came across to the average fan at home. Yeah, I, I think this is a little bit overselling. Um, so first off, like... I mean, if Dave wasn't there, how does he know necessarily how brutal it was mm. you know i mean he's watching this on tv for the first time like everybody else correct so how how does he know exactly how brutal it is I'm unless he was I'm, either he was probably there, or he's going on what the guy who sent the report in told him yeah well or cactus jack himself who's really <laughs> trying to put this over yeah. um uh, that's uh, i mean to be frank i mean because like I said, we'll get to those matches, but I, I really think this is kind of being overhyped here for this, especially when you're talking about we're a month away from a bomb exploding cage match in Japan. Wanting to compare that, or not a cage, but the exploding ring between Funk and Onita, like to compare that type of match and that brutality and everything to uh, this Cactus Jack Vader match, it it kind of seems a little tame. I mean, it's uh. It's a stiff match, and he does a powerbomb on the outside. Yeah, I mean, that's brutal. That's not very safe, but I, I think Dave's going a little overboard here by it. Like, well, you know, we've never seen anything like this or whatever. So, so you think that Mick is sending in these reports himself? Because <laughs> I, I, I think just from what I'm hearing here and knowing the history of uh, Foley's association with Meltzer, this does feel like a narrative that's really being pushed through somebody, and I would assume that would be Foley himself. Well, the next line seems to back that up because it says, Cactus, despite the concussion, despite 24 stitches and a dislocated jaw, didn't even miss one booking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, yeah, I mean, okay, he took a beating. And the match, I don't want to undersell the match. It is a brutal match, and I'm sure some really enjoy it and like it and very good. But, yeah, I mean, I don't... It just... These matches don't have that kind of out-of-control, hardcore match feel. I've certainly seen a lot more brutal matches even around this time point. So, so here we go. Um, four of the most prophetic words that Meltzer would ever write here. He says, remember this word, script writers. So, <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> Christ. And that, that, was, uh, that was a good bit of foreshadowing to what we've got going on now. Yep, and they're still not good now. Uh, while no. Ric Flair got a great response at all the houses, uh, the flair for the gold segments with Vinnie Vegas and Johnny B. Bad uh, were not good, let alone a proper use of flair. Right. Steamboat and Austin were said to have a four-star cage matches all this week. Austin went over since the tag team title was uh, up in the cage matches uh, since they were originally going to do a tag title match in the cage. Shane Douglas missed the week with a separated shoulder. Uh, Dustin Rhodes returned from his shoulder separation on the 4th, um, on 14th of April in New York. 
With the exception of Sting, Chris Benoit got, got the th- best face reaction in Toronto. So, of course, he put over Johnny B. Bad. Uh, <laughs> Simmons was booed against Wyndham on the same show. Yeah. Um, so, this is the angle for Slamboree. As Tully Blanchard makes his return, he's attacked out of nowhere by Tiger Jeet Singh, who chops his head off with a sword. Because of his belief in religion, Blanchard will survive the blow and start wrestling in June as the headless horseman. That's um, Meltzer being funny again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Christ. Uh, I'm getting fed up with Meltzer by this point. Uh, well, we... <laughs> uh, yeah, the comedy bits are getting a little uh, straining. <laughs> Especially something like that. It's like, why take a shot? I mean, you know, I don't think totally coming back, if he was, was the most atrocious idea in the world. I mean, look at what it's done for Orndorff, as we'll uh, get to when we review the show. But it, it seems certifiable as a decent idea wcw ran on uh television on 424 what appeared to be its best angle in years involving big van vader and cactus jack but it largely wasn't an angle at all in what was easily the best television show at least in terms of production since the new regime uh, took over the return match from the brutal encounter that aired on uh, april the 17th was the highlight it was another very good match in many ways better than their first match even though Jack was working when Logic um, said he shouldn't. The match wasn't anywhere near the -the over-the-limit brutality of the first, where Jack uh, suffered numerous facial injuries and concussion uh, from Vader's punches. Uh, You seen this one? Yeah, and uh, put it in the other same category. I mean, very good, not great. Um, But we'll get to I mean, I I feel like we're having this match up for something we may not talk about for a few months, Um, but... um, Correct me if I'm wrong, I distinctly remember as a kid a whole series of vignettes with Cac descending like Harley Race presents and things like that. Is this, is this around this time or is that later <clears> on <throat> in the year? Feels like it's around this time. But. Yeah, well that, that kind of goes after the Lost in Cleveland stuff. We we have the Lost in Cleveland and the Amnesia stuff coming out um, and then oh, so Jack they, makes his return. So they and, really drag it out then. Yeah, yeah. Thing. I mean, th- I mean, this ankle really goes from now until uh, Halloween Havoc. Wow. Okay. Uh, I mean, Vader's doing other stuff like the Masters of the Power Bomb and the stuff with Sting. Um, that that's kind of his other main concern. But the, this is still happening too. It, it's almost like a race versus Jack angle uh, for a lot of it in the fall. So, so despite the fact that this angle is big, says Meltzer, they're still going to run with um, Vader versus Davy Boy on Slamboree. Um, and they actually have the whole card announced here. And from what I can see, it's basically correct, the card that we get, apart from Sting versus Scott Norton. Meltzer says, my suspicion is that whomever wins in Japan will lose this one, although for long-term programs... In both countries, it would probably be the most interesting if the local regular loses in each country. Well, that didn't happen, did it? Because Sting ended no. up facing somebody else. Right. Um, okay, so let's keep on moving. Uh, lots of television taping news. Uh, the TV uh, that aired on March the 1st, uh, May the 1st ranged from excellent to pathetic. They opened the show with a well-produced gimmick involving the Blackhearts, um, who took, who looked fair. They also misspelled uh, on the trial. <laughs> so basically, they misspelled Blackhearts as Blackhearts, H-A-R-T-S. So there we go. 
The Junkyard Dog and Jim Neidhard debuted as a tag team. <coughs> Dog got a big reaction from the centre stage freebies and is in his best condition in years, but the match was terrible. I mean, well, there's a surprise. Um, yeah. JYD back in 93. Did you have any idea? Uh, I seem to remember reading something about this, but it wasn't very uh, pretty short-lived, and um, yeah, it had to be rough in ring. Scott, Nort- Scott Norton destroyed Tom Zank. Good. Uh, uh, Colonel Robert Parker debuted for doing an interview in the role of a heel wrestling promoter, claiming to be kin to Colonel Tom Parker, who, of course, was Elvis Presley's manager. When I was a very young child in the 60s, I always thought the Beatles were way bigger than Elvis, but now in the 90s I've learned I was wrong. 20 years after his death, Elvis is still being used in wrestling angles, while nobody in wrestling ever mentions the Beatles. So, there we go. Um, I think they were both big, that's my perspective on things. (laughs) Uh, The first flair for the gold segment aired with Big Van Vader. This was excellent. Everyone played their role so perfectly and did exactly what they should have done to tease a Flair Vader match. Blackjack Mulligan came out and did the colour for the rest of the show, and he was every bit as bad as his colour stint on WWF in 1984, which lasted all of a few weeks before they mercifully put his role to sleep. Uh, Then came two matches with the excellent same finish, where the heel brings in a foreign object, the face gets it, and gets uh, DQ'd for using it, which is a time-honoured finish we've seen again and again. Um, Jesse Ventura missed uh, uh, the taping because he had a city council meeting to attend. Um, This is for the Saturday nights that ended up being May the 8th and May the 15th. Although they announced it was uh, due to post-production on a movie and they kept on talking about um, the movie instead of the council meeting. Jody Hamilton as the assassin did colour for the first show. Larry Zabisco did the second. First show was Dustin over text, Ron Simmons does the Paula bit, and Paula has uh, his hit in the ring. Colonel Parter, Parker claims he will be offering a contract to Van Hammer. You can figure out what happens next, um, and so on and so forth. So, um, here's a really interesting thing that happens, is Dos Hombres, not Steamboat and Douglas, but two non-wrestling employees in suits, were sitting at ringside with a female interpreter called Miss Murphy. Murphy did an interview with the two of them saying they came in from Mexico with only $19 in their pocket and they wanted a video of themselves against the Hollywood Blondes to show their friends back home. Steamboat comes out and welcomes the team to America. This must have been weird for the fans who were in Gainesville, which wasn't far away the previous week, when the entire Dos Hombres scenario played out. Uh, Any comments on this Dos Hombres business? It was really weird Um. angle. Yeah, well, I guess I can go through a little bit of it now, but I, I pretty much hate it. Like, this had been such a great feud leading up to this, and this just felt like I needed to turn into kind of like sports entertainment and shoehorning in some comedy aspects, which was very odd and uh, didn't work at all. Uh, after the match, the Blondes agreed to give Dos Hombres a shot tomorrow night. Max Payne had a match scheduled with Johnny the Hundred and... $81,000 a year man who didn't have a clue <laughs> with how they were going to use him be bad. Payne jumped and injured him, so Brad Armstrong took his place. <laughs> um, that is basically Brad Armstrong's role. Yeah, that's his new uh, gimmick, he I just guess. takes over injured wrestler spots. <laughs> um, Payne had a bad in the armbar when Bad did a run-in for the, uh, for the DQ. So basically, 
uh, I think Meltzer means he had Brad in the armbar. Payne wound right. up KOing Brad with his own guitar uh, glitter gun and left both of them laying there. The show ended with Harley Race announcing uh, Big Van Vader public workout on May the 22nd TV show. Uh, Davy Boy Smith comes out and says he'll be at the workout. Uh, so there we go. Um, uh, so what else? Uh, the Hollywood Blonde did an interview talking about a match against Ric Flair and Arn Anderson and called the team a flair for the old. Ooh. What do you yeah. think about that as a diss? It's quite good. This was... Uh... Now, the, uh, was this the actual segment, or this was just they mentioned it? Um, no, they, no, they did an interview talking about it. Okay, segment, yeah. yeah. So, so their flair for the old segment was uh, was pretty good. I mean, I thought I thought it definitely built hype for the impending tag match. They also talked about Dos Hombres being Steamboat and Douglas. Arn Anderson beat Bob Eaton in a three star match, following a Barry Windham riding in on a Harley. Talking about Flair and Anderson. So there we go. Um, Dusty was in full force on the April 27th WCW Pro and Main Event tapings. Uh, as of nine competitive matches, six were DQ finishes. <laughs> um, in the world's biggest injustice, the Cole Twins beat Eaton and Chris Benoit via DQ. Uh, so basically loads and loads of DQ finishes on the on the cards around this time. I guess without Bill Watts there, keeping an eye on him, Dusty's back to his old tricks really isn't he right sure um latest on tully blanchard this week is that he's not coming in because he's mad that he wasn't off he's mad basically that he was offered less money than johnny b bad and jim neidhart were given less uh than tom zenk is earning oh hold on so tully blanchard is mad that he was offered less money than johnny b bad and he's mad that uh jim neidhart was offered less than Tom's. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why he has a stake in that fight, but uh, um, that course, doesn't make any sense. Of course, all of this could change by the time that you read this. Uh, April the 26th, uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune had an article on Mayor Ventura deciding whether he's a good guy or a bad guy as, a may- as the mayor. Some residents claim he's a failure because of his constant feuding with the majority of the city council, but he's also presided during a period of a dramatic drop in the city's crime rate and has been credited by city officials for leading the charge on economic development and personally talked an 85-employee um, company that had decided to move from Brooklyn Park to Plymouth. Um, the story hinted that Ventura may run for the Senate in 1994. Um, they also had a clash for the city council member who would be likely his opponent if he ran for re-election as mayor. If you want to, to be the man, you've got to beat the man, his foe responded. That's about the silliest thing I've ever seen, Ventura responded, but it's entertaining to the folks at home. When his foe said he wasn't here for entertainment, Ventura responded, I am. Uh, I actually think, Chad, uh, again, fast forward into 2016, that you may, you may be seeing quite a few uh, times when Ventura's little run as mayor is brought up as a kind of foreshadowing to what we've actually got now. Because I, I actually think that uh, for various different reasons, they're really similar candidates, Ventura and uh, old Donald Trump there. There's a lot of right. there's a lot of crossover points I think. Um, yeah. Okay, carrying on going. This is uh, really mammoth. Uh, negotiations were going on to a headline um, to Beach Blast, Seven Eleven at Gulfport, uh, with the Warrior and Sting versus Sid Vicious and Big Van Vader. But apparently these plans have fallen through because the Warrior will be working a tour of the Far East at that time. 
So at this point, the main event plan is Sting and Davey versus Sid and Vader, and I think that is what happens, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, Colonel Parker uh, is in l- largely at the behest of Sid, uh, who also wanted WCW to bring in Ebony Experience from Dallas. Ebony Experience. I imagine is that a black female wrestler? <laughs> no. <laughs> who's, Eb- who, who's Ebony Experience? It's uh, they were in Global. I'm not sure who was actually the. Uh, oh, that's Harlem Heat. Yeah. Ebony Experience right. is the Harlem Heat. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. I I thought it was that. Uh, who's who am I thinking of? That. Uh, I have no idea. There's a there's a there's a there's a black woman. She used to hang out with Flair a bit. Dark Mystery. What's her name? Oh, uh, Dark Journey. Dark Journey. That's the one I was thinking. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Cactus Jack did a radio interview on John Arizzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight. And said that if he couldn't return and do the thing that he's known for, he's going to consider giving up wrestling. He said that he felt fine and felt like he was ready to return to the ring now. Although for angle purposes, he probably won't be back for a long time. So I guess uh, Jack is out with uh, after being beaten up by Vader enough times he's in hospital, uh, basically. Right, right. That's um, the angle. This past weekend's house shows uh, may have been the lowest of all time, with A-show crowds in the range of 300 to 400 with all the names except Vader on the show. So they're really drawing badly around uh, the... D- yep, great, uh, great case for Sting being a Wrestling Reserve Hall of Famer here. <laughs> oh, he got in, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, just uh, to me, that whole thing has become a joke. I'll just say that. Um, because it just doesn't matter. It's just like, you give that many people a vote, you're going to have silly results. Um TV ratings continue to be unimpressive. WCW on 5-1, which was the first show after the bit where Cactus Jack was carted off, did a 2-1 rating, uh, which showed that uh, it was well done. Uh, both Power Hour and Main Event did 1.8 the same weekend. Um, Shane Douglas has missed all the house shows over the weekend to rest his shoulder injury, so they had a series of singles matches in which Brian Pillman pinned Ricky Steamboat and uh, Steve Austin interfered. Eric Watts got an end of the WA title shot and lost it to Barry Windham um, when Kendu Suzaki no-showed. Because WCW lost its television in Indy before the card, the show only drew 250 fans. 250 fans in Indianapolis. I mean, Vern can't be happy about that. I mean, that's that's, 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 brutal. I mean, that's terrible. Um, Bill Watts did a two-part interview in the Wrestling Flyer newsletter, which included reprinting a letter that he sent to Hank Aaron. Um, 42 ex-wrestlers are being brought in for Slamboree. $500 per person. The Sheik has cancelled coming in. So there we go. Oh, there we go. I'm guessing again it's because the Sheik was doing FMW. Like, it, wasn't he working uh, for Anita as well? Uh, I'm not positive about that part of it, 93. I, I want to see I've seen him on on shows but i could be wrong um slamboree so this is over on to may 24th now we're almost there people it's been a long ride slamboree would have been a great idea if this was baseball old timers day is traditionally one of the best drawing gimmicks for most team it would have been a great idea if this was basketball the legends game is now a successful fixture of the all-star weekend it would have worked in japan new japan did it a few years ago but in japan ex-wrestling legends like luthez carl gotch 
or James Blears and Billy Robinson are routinely brought in either as dignitaries or coaches to the current stars and wrestling's history is well uh, preserved on both television and in magazines. But was it a great idea for WCW? As of right now it doesn't appear to be the case. As of late last week less than 1,000 tickets have been sold for the live show at uh, the Omni in Atlanta. WCW was both doing heavy giveaways and giving out a lot of two-for-one ticket coupons in the Atlanta suburbs in order to make the house at least look respectable on the pay-per-view broadcast as opposed to being respectable when the cash is being counted. A lot of people would ask, why is this happening? As previously mentioned, bringing back the legends of a sport is a traditional draw in most sports and has worked with wrestling in Japan and in Mexico as well. In addition, the Slamboree Control Centres with Eric Bischoff and Gordon Soley have uh, been some of the best produced segments WCW has done. Surely those segments should have uh, given the event an aura that would make the viewer feel like this was something special and therefore worth attending and ordering. There can be nitpicking about certain individuals who should have been brought in and who weren't, and in most cases it was because the individual turned WCW down rather than a lack of invitation. And there are certainly a few being brought in uh, who it would be a stretch to call legend. There is even one, Barry Owen, son of the longtime Portland promoter Don Owen, who is, to the best of my knowledge, never even wrestled, but was plugged by Gordon Soley as a longtime top contender for the NWA Junior Heavyweight title. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Whose main claim to fame in front of the cameras is being a below average ring announcer and the son of a promoter unknown outside of Oregon and Washington. But putting a few names aside, this is an idea that should have worked. And barring a, uh, a last flood of interest, appears that it didn't work. Why? And uh, basically it comes down, he says, to wrestling ignoring its own roots and history for so long that when it tries to draw based on those roots, it's almost guaranteed to fail. There isn't a baseball fan in this country who hasn't heard of Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb, and they go back more than 60 years. Very few modern fans have heard of Luthers or even Johnny Valentine, and they were active stars 20 years ago. To readers of this publication, Slamboree is a big deal. It's a chance to see people who uh, gave a lot of 20-plus year fans memories from the past. In what way this idea will sat- in that way this uh, idea will satisfy longtime fans? Uh, but basically, he's saying that the kids and stuff don't know who Mad Dog Vashaw and Harley Race, Story Funk, Vengania are even because wrestling ignores its past. Um, any thoughts on this? And again, this is a question I think that looks very different in '93 than it does in 2016. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a good uh, sense of truth in that. I mean, if you have a like for me as a seven or eight year old, I didn't know at that time really who Lutez or Von Ganya were. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I think at that time you just didn't have the uh, backwards ability like i mean you didn't have the network to where if i wanted to i could watch a brett hart or Shawn michaels pay-per-view match from 1995 you didn't and figure out who these people are you didn't have youtube you didn't have the internet so there was no like there was no equivalent of me shouting at you for not knowing who uh dory funk was or whatever yeah you really you really had to seek it out if you wanted to take a look back at history i mean one thing i will say is that I, i understand the point melter's making here but how do you get that, um, like, I can't say it's a bad thing, because let's just say they put this out there as a loss leader. They are actually educating the fans as to who all of these legends are, like, just just by putting this show on. Do you know what I mean? So if you right. are a kid and watching, you now know who all of these guys are. Um, although I do think they, I mean, we can talk about this later. I think they could have maybe showed a bit more footage for, of the old guys, like... 
to show them in their pomp or to do more to get them over, I guess, um, it on the actual presentation itself. Anyway, he, yeah, he, he says five years back, WCW promoted a show in San Francisco and one of the mid-card matches pitted Mike Rotunda against Dory Funk. This is the same Dory Funk who was the NWE champion from 63, 69 to 73, which even by the standards of that period was a fairly long title reign. Compare Funk standing in the business to someone in another entertainment business, say the movies, baseball or football. That was the premier act in the field for a four-year period and an international superstar for more than another decade. By and large, the fans couldn't understand why Rotunda was having so many problems with an old man. It wasn't until about the 12 uh, to 15 minute mark um, uh, that the fans really started getting into a little... um, comments like the old man can really wrestle so basically they had to actually see him for 12 minutes to even get this if there was any interest or knowledge among the audience purchasing tickets of things that happened in the past it shouldn't have taken them 12 minutes to figure out that the old man could really wrestle and harley race uh, would mean one hell of a lot more as a manager today um, officially wcw announced two of the Le- legends matches as funk with gene Kanitsky in his corner against nick bockwinkle with boone garnier in his corner um, and a tag title match with Bob uh, Armstrong and Thunderbolt Patterson versus Von Raschke and Ivan Koloff. Um, so anyway, uh, I mean, I guess one question I've got is, are, is wrestling really as bad as putting over its legend as, as he's made out? Like, I feel like NWA at least was, it, was always at least acknowledged the old names. Like you'd hear uh, Dory, you know, brought up sometimes by Jim Ross and stuff like that. Am I wrong? Uh, I mean, I think it's more to do with uh, Vince Jr. and how he refused to acknowledge, you, you know, anything that happened prior to Hogan beating the Iron Sheik didn't really happen. Like how you never heard Bob Backlund mentioned on WWF TV from, what, 1984 to 1992 or whenever. Um, and that's somebody that held the championship for four and a half, five years. Uh, Bruno, of course, was not mentioned for years at a time. Um, so so that type of thing, I think, is uh, pretty bad in wrestling. But I think with what we've seen in WCW, both for, uh, with the 20th anniversary on TBS at The Clash, and also with this show is they do a really good job in integrating the history of the product um, without it seeming like a straight nostalgic uh, nod to them. I mean, the, the one thing I will say is that it's quite interesting looking at this now because it, it feels like now they've acknowledged the history so much that the history almost like has a stranglehold over the... Pre- it's almost like I feel like the Monday Night Wars is talked up so much that nothing the guys can do now can be seen as being better than that um like when i watch wrestlemania and the biggest pop is still for stone cold and stuff like that it feels like vince has like gone the opposite gone the opposite way like he yeah oh yeah um so it's kind of a catch-22 really if you if you ignore the past it that that's bad for the reasons that we've talked about but if you champion the past too much it starts to look like nothing it can ever be great again um i don't know what you do like I feel like this show has got a decent balance, personally, because they always put over the current guys when they do their promos and things. Yeah, I think this type of show is uh, kind of the sweet spot optimum of something like that. I mean, something with WrestleMania, you struggle because you either have 
either part-timers and prominent matches that are winning, like The Undertaker, or or Shane McMahon, or you have, uh, you know, one-offs, like when Austin comes back, or, you know, Hogan with the WrestleMania 31 NWO run-in, or whatever. Um, so so it's, it's too much uh, ingrained into the stars of the past. So, very last bit now, before we actually get to the card, uh, last-minute news. Jesse Ventura has gone into hospital with a blood clot a day before Slamboree. Um, so that's why he isn't at the show and why Larry Z handled the, uh, the color. Um, Shane Douglas is through with the company, although details of the departure are sketchy money, no doubt was the crux of it. Um, so he'd been out injured and then basically was, I, I don't know. Meltzer doesn't know exactly what's happened. I'm sure all future ones will have the full story, but he's basically done with the company before this car that we're about to talk about take, takes place. Tony Gilliam, who we mentioned before, is already history, Chad. He was brought yeah, in. Yeah, there we go. And Gordon Soley has taken over the event center slots in his place. Um, Michael Buffer, who is currently the most famous boxing ring announcer, will be the ring announcer at the Norfolk Clash. Boo. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not a fan of Buffer. Spoilers, everyone. Um, do you like Buffer, Chad? I mean overpaid but for what he did i thought he was okay i just think he's such a snub to capetta like just kick in the face for him like he does a perfectly fine job what's the point of bringing buffer in oh anyway um davy boy smith was shaken up uh um uh versus vader at slamboree and so basically we're, we're up to date now so we're going to take a quick break chad and finally we're going to do our review of slamboree Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Voice of Ring of Honors, Kevin Kelly here. I just want to make sure you're all subscribed to all of our great feeds here at Place to Be Nation. Now, it's really easy to do. Just head to iTunes or your preferred podcatcher app today and search for and subscribe to the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed, Place to Be Nation pop feed, pro wrestling only feed, and of course, the Kevin Kelly show feed, which includes the full archives of my podcast. Subscribe, listen, and then rate us and leave feedback today. And of course, as always, enjoy all the great action of Ring of Honor Wrestling and everything presented to you on placetobenation.com. Place to Be Nation's JT Rizzero here, and I want to let you know that we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and PlaceToBeNation.com, and we offer them to you across two great feeds. On the Place to Be Nation wrestling feed, you can check out Scott Criscolo and me on the Mothership, the Place to Be podcast with our famous vintage wall pay-per-view reviews. PTBN also covers current-day wrestling with the smash hit clotheslines and headlines our steady veteran main event, and the beloved monthly pay-per-view reaction shows with immediate feedback on all pro wrestling super shows. Relive wrestling's past with our monthly pay-per-view rewind series led by Ben Morse, the always contentious Dangerous Alliance podcast, and Survey Says, a fun look back at the good, bad, and ugly of WCW. On our very popular Place of Nation Pop podcast feed, we offer such great shows as the Glenn Butler Podcast Hour Spectacular, Rank and File, NBA Team, Lucha Undead, Geek and Sassy, and a veritable podcast heaven for comic fans with hard-traveling fanboys, Sellers Points, Todd Weber's Conversation, and Imaginary Stories. Subscribe to both of those feeds on iTunes and rate and leave feedback for us as well. 
All of these shows plus others available at PlayStation.com where we cover pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments and more. Be sure to support our site by using PlayStation.com backslash Amazon when doing your online shopping and download our free Place to Be Vintage Vault Refresh eBooks via the links on the right-hand side of our site. We also want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Rock, Rhode Island and Fall River, Massachusetts, TheHistoryOfWrestling.com and Scott Keats' Blog of Doom. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr as well. PlaceFoundation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. The PWO PTBN feed has changed its name, now known simply as Pro Wrestling Only, so it should be easier to find and indeed to say. All of your favorite shows are still here, including Where the Big Boys Play, Letters from Kayfabe, Titans of Wrestling, Tag Teams Back Again, This Week in Wrestling, and many, many more including our full archives of tremendous content. So make sure you subscribe to the Pro Wrestling Only feed today. So uh, we're back. Uh, listen to a lot of those great shows. Um, and uh, Chad, uh, any news, anything on the horizon, uh, just uh, in general in the world of uh, Place to Be? Um, nothing, I would say, that's pertinent we are doing the uh, pilot season um so so uh a new pilot just dropped on a uh, new japan show um well they're kind of doing strong style history so past japan history uh this one was on the 10 9 2000 new japan show which had kawada versus Sasaki as the main event uh so give that a listen give us our feedback um, you know, and certainly the more positive feedback we hear for these shows on the pilot, that helps kind of our, uh, decision-making process and, uh, deciding which shows get picked up for the feed. But, uh, that's all that I can think of that's, uh, really on the horizon. Yeah. And, uh, well, that's a pretty contentious question. What is strong style? I mean, I saw a lot of tears last time that was brought up on the, uh, <laughs> on the board. Um, <laughs> Now, as I mentioned, Chad, I'm about to go away, so I'm about to go into a hiatus for a few weeks because um, I uh, have lost, I'm not going to have an internet connection. I don't know what I'm going to do without the internet for nigh on three weeks. Uh, so if anyone has any suggestions for what I can do without an internet connection to while away the time in my new, uh, in my new apartment there, uh, send me some suggestions for, you know, fun without the internet. I do have a lot of board games. So there is that, but uh, any, any other suggestions uh, would be good. And um, anything else to plug? I did uh, I did do a show with Chris Hero last week. That, oh, boy. In case you missed that one. Um, so there is that. Oh, and I guess less well-publicized was the Titans of Wrestling we did on the 70s promos, um, which... Uh, <laughs> Why, why are you laughing? That was a white show. Yeah, it's just like, you know, you know how the uh, 70s are like the uh, forgotten as far as buzz in the podcasting. Yeah, unfortunately. When, yeah. when, when, you, when you dip into the 70s, you're, uh, you're really going into a, uh, I guess, a uh, smaller audience, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I listened to that show. It was very well done. I mean, talked about uh, the people you thought you would, but, uh, you know, like Dick the Bruiser, um your Brunos, those type of characters. Yeah, and there, there will be an AC's one, and I bet you that will be a lot, a lot more. Like uh, people get more excited about that one. Yeah, I mean, I mean like, like, uh, yeah, I mean, how many people are nostalgic? 
in our corners part for Dick DeBruzzle and the Crusher. But when you hear their interviews and stuff like that, like the uh, clip that was inserted mm-hmm. for uh, after you talked about Dick DeBruzzle and the Crusher, I mean, just the way they talked and the way they sounded, it's it's something you don't really hear these days. Like it, it definitely sounded different. Um, more characterized, but I mean, it was kind of weird that, like, just to think that, you know, these were kind of at that point in time in the 70s, what, 30, 35 year old men. Uh, like, I mean, I'm 30 year olds now. I don't, I don't go around talking that way, and I'm sure they didn't at like home or whatever, but um, mm-hmm. just kind of a different way of looking at the business overall. Yeah. So I would, I'd recommend uh, checking out that show mainly to listen to the promos I put in, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I don't think, I don't think Dick the Bruiser would be retweeting fans if he was around in 2016. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. Um, right. Okay. So let's get on to Slambury then. Um, and there's an opening. Sh- uh, oh, one other thing. Uh, we did find out in the break what happened to the Sheik. And uh, Chad, do you want to break this uh, story? Yeah, you know, you know how every squirrel, uh, every once in a while, gets lucky and finds a nut. Uh, Parv was correct; the Sheik was in FMW around that time and did work on that five five nineteen ninety three show that featured Funk versus Onita. <laughs> Some squirrels have got a lot of nuts. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, <laughs> um, so th- there's a lovely shot of Doria Funk in the opening credits. Um, and lots of legends, <laughs> lots of legends are in the ring uh, at the start. And there's a whole bunch we mentioned. It's basically all those guys who Meltzer named. Um, and then we start out with uh, Tony Schiavone, who's with Larry Zbysko. Uh, second show in a row that Jesse's been missing. Uh, he's in hospital, and we know that's legit. Although he had been off air to do the Hollywood stuff and doing politics stuff. Um, and then... Max Payne is back with the Jimi Hendrix antics to start. Oh. Um, and as he's playing this, uh, a carriage uh, is brought in and loads of these kind of jobbery guys are carrying it. Did you recognize any of these guys? No, I didn't, but they were very old up and uh, were in some small trunks. Yeah, and one of them had like his initials on the trunks, which made me think right, that right. he might be like a you know, seasoned worker. Cause just... I'm, I'm sure they were the job crew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and who's in the carriage? Well, it's Fabulous Moolah, <laughs> who got no yeah. no reaction from the crowd. Well, there. yeah, and it's like you have all these legends in the ring, and really Moolah gets the biggest rub. Um, and she's on the arm of Greg Garnier, who's not really mentioned. Um, yeah, I thought this was weird. Like, I don't know why why Moolah got such a big thing. And she looked as old here as she as she does when she crops up on the Monday Night Wars. Like she was, she, didn't she? Yeah, she she looked ancient, but I mean she looked ancient in '85 too. Um, and what did they call her? Like the Queen of the Ring or yeah. something like that. It was. It, and the other thing, like Max Payne, I did read a Scott Keith's review. He said Max Payne did the Star Spangled Banner. That was uh, no way. Um, I, don't, I don't know what he was playing. He was basically like tuning his guitar. Uh, but it wasn't the national anthem that he leads Mula out to. Didn't sound like it to me. <laughs> no. Um, so anyway, I just thought it was weird for because I associate Mula, of course, with WWF more than. Oh anywhere. yeah, for sure. She did work yeah. everywhere else, and she was the NWA Women's Champ for all those years. But I don't know, it just seems weird. Um, yeah, this seemed like the biggest misfire as far as the legends placement on the show. Um, you have all these guys in the ring, and for some reason. Moolah is the most prominent one. 
who would you have put in that carriage? Lee Fares or? <laughs> well, I don't think I'd have had the carriage, but um, I, I, I mean, I think it'd have been cool that if they would have had like Lou Fares and Vern Gagne like standing next to each other and say, you know, here's the pillar of the AWA, here's the pillar of the NWA, and tonight all the legends reunite for slam, you know, something like that. Like now, see the future stars, or you could you could have done something like that. Um, and those to me felt like the two, I guess, biggest guys. Eric Bischoff uh, is with Missy Hyatt now, and if you ask me, Eric is actually sexier than Missy Hyatt here. Oh, I thought no way. I thought Missy looked really good tonight. I made a note of that. She looked really classy, had her black dress on. I was I was very impressed. I mean, I'm not saying Missy Hyatt wasn't sexy. I'm just saying Eric was that much sexier. No, uh, no. If you're in, a few weeks ago, I did uh, Eric Bischoff like sexy pictures uh, tweets. Did you see those? <laughs> <laughs> um, and anyway, in, in in the middle of this, um, the lights go off, and yeah, the I was thinking like, out. what's going to happen? Is there a big surprise? But no, it was literally a technical difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, uh, which made me laugh. Um, yeah. So it's going to be NWA versus AWA later on. It's going to be Dory versus Bockwinkle. So that's uh, upcoming. And we go into our first match now, which is Bobby Eaton and Chris Benoit. Look at that heel team. Uh, versus uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, the rookie of the year. And uh, Tuchel Scorpio. So looks like a decent match on paper. How, did it, how was it in practice? Yeah, this I thought it was like the perfect opener. Um, very high energy. Crowd loves Bagwell and Scorpio dancing around, entering the ring. I thought Eaton and Benoit is kind of like a makeshift team, worked really well together. Uh, good flash from the faces to start. Eaton takes over on Bagwell, and they really worked well uh, with their tags. There's a, a, some bridges that Benoit does, and then he tags in Eaton as he still has uh, Bagwell locked up, which was great. Um, so, so they work him over for a few minutes. It didn't go too long. Then we get the hot tag to Scorpio, and Scorpio is absolutely on fire in, in this sequence where he runs through all his big moves, a lot of flash, a lot of energy, uh, crowds going nuts, and then he absolutely destroys uh, Chris Benoit with the tumbleweed leg drop uh, for the win where, um, I mean, I mean, his leg comes right down on Benoit's head and it bounces off the mat. So, uh Unfortunate there, not very safe, but uh, it, it looked impressive for sure. Um, so, so overall, this was kind of like my time of match for an opener. Really got me excited for the card overall, and I went three and a quarter. Um, you know, it was under ten minutes, but high energy, good work, uh, unique pairings that you probably uh, wouldn't think about, like score uh, Eaton and Benoit teaming up seems very odd in retrospect. Uh, so this one really clicked for me. Same, uh, well, three-star rating for me, Chad. Fun action, decent match. Uh, you said it all, really. Um, just a hot, hot little opener. I, I enjoyed it. So, so now Van Hammer uh, comes out for his match, and then Colonel Parker comes out. I mean, Van Hammer never leaves, does he? He's so irritating. Like, it feels like he's been doing that. Ninety-one, he came in, wasn't it? Yeah, ninety-one. And uh, he's still hanging around, and he just never leaves, does he? He stays all the whole no, time. He, he he's at least dropped the guitar. Because now we have Max Payne. But yeah. Um, still hanging out. Parker cuts a promo on Van Hammer. And uh, my main note during this is look at Mike Atkins, the ref's moustache. What an awesome <laughs> tash from uh, Atkins. Uh, yeah. 
This uh, was a good night for mustaches, as we'll get to one coming up that's uh, maybe the best mustache I've ever seen. Uh, Parker introduces the mystery opponent, who is Sid Vicious, and the crowd goes nuts. I thought this was a pretty good reveal. But yeah. my, my main question is, what's a gurney? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, didn't Lee Sabisco say, we're up for we call that a stretcher or whatever? Yeah. Um, yeah. A gurney is a stretcher? Yeah, yeah, they brought out a little stretcher. Uh, that would be what the gurney is. Okay. Kind of another name. Um, which Van Hammer, I guess, destroys while Sid comes out. I don't, I don't know. So, so this is about like a two-second squash, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sid was insanely over... <laughs> it's a little unfortunate, but I guess Van Hammer does legitimately get hurt um, on the powerbomb of this match, which, I mean, it didn't look that unsafe to me. Did it, you, Parv? I mean... No, I didn't notice anything. Yeah, so, um, but but kind of in a bit of uh, weird irony, you know, he destroys the gurney and the stretcher as Sid comes out in storyline, but uh, then he gets legit hurt on the powerbomb, so he probably <laughs> needed a stretcher to get out of there. <laughs> so, Says him, him right. Yeah, not, not <laughs> unfortunate for him, but, uh, but yeah, I thought this was a really good debut. I mean, um, I, the crowd was molten for Sid and Sid's cool in these squashes so uh, a good good bit of business all around let me see if I can find the old uh, Meltzer ratings for this I never know where they uh, they seem uh, they seem a bit late he's got this um, thing where he did like two in a week so maybe it's in the second one let me see if I can find this anyway uh, we'll, we'll see if we can find the Meltzer ratings uh, let's carry on um so basically now it's Red Bastine and Bugsy McGraw, who with Eric Bischoff. Um, my favourite moment of this is when Bugsy McGraw turns to to Bischoff and says, "And Eric, you've got on too much makeup, baby." And I thought that was really funny. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I did. I did find the uh, ratings two and three quarters for the opener dud for the uh, squash. Right. Okay. He has them as. Uh, in the file I'm seeing both of those are dark matches. They're not dark matches. They're on the pay-per-view. They were off the uh, Turner edit, though. Yeah, the Turner edit didn't have them, right? Right, Okay. Right. So, um, the next match is a Legends match. It's Dick Murdoch, Jimmy Snooker, and Don Morocco. Look at that team. Taking on Wahoo McDaniel, Blackjack Mulligan, and Jim Brunzel. Now... <laughs> Brunzel looks weird there, uh, just because I know he was jobbing on Raw around this time, so um, or had been. Um, whereas the other guys look more like legends, I guess. Um, any thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, um, I mean, some weird teams. I thought one thing that I thought was interesting that you know of a of a tandem of Murdoch. Morocco and Snuka. It's weird to think that Don Morocco may be the most morally good person on that team. <laughs> like you wouldn't associate the Rock as like this great uh, person of uh, virtue, but when you have a murderer and a racist as your teammates, uh, <laughs> that can do wonders for your uh, for your moral compass. He, he is lazy um, though, very lazy. Yeah, he is lazy. <laughs> he eats a lot of sandwiches in the corner, whatever. Um, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Blackjack looked the most different, kind of from his prime. Yeah. Uh, he, he looked kind of weird in the jeans and the shirt and the mustache. just looked a little off. Uh, Wahoo, I thought, still was a good cagey bastard. Um, Murdoch does do the flying head scissors in the middle of this match to a huge pop. 
Um, and I think him and Brunzel actually would have been a, a pretty fun singles match around this time. Uh, Murdoch does his driving knee from the top to the floor. Brunzel's the uh, face in peril for this match. Uh, and then we get a, a, a really shoddy finish. I mean, a pier six breaks out with all the guys. The match uh, gets thrown out. But it wasn't like they were doing anything crazy. They were just sort of all over the place, uh, hugging each other. Um, so, I mean, it, this had some flashes of fun stuff, but uh, it was kind of too long. At uh, nine minutes and wore out its welcome, so I went a star and a half. Oh, I think I liked the match a little bit more than you, Chad. Um, I mean, a few things. First of all, I thought Tony was really good on commentary, putting over Brunzel's AWA history. Um, he was great talking about, uh, like, Morocco, um, Murdoch's kind of past with Dusty in the, in the Outlaws. I just thought he did a good job of filling in some of the history. Uh, for the fans who might not know. Uh, he right. Talked, he talked about how Lord James Blears guided Morocco's career. I mean, I didn't know that, did you? Uh, no, yeah, that was interesting. The uh, Hawaii connection or whatever. I thought Murdoch still na- nailed every punch and elbow. Uh, the six-match structure kind of masked Morocco's laziness. Um, it was, I mean, logically, they had Brunzel in the face and peril role. So, you know, he, he could still go enough to take most of the offense. Um I like the fact that Morocco and Snooker's history played into the miscommunication spot at the end. Um, my only complaint, really, is that Bischoff um, is that Wahoo didn't get more chops in, and of course the very modern Bischoffy no finish uh, uh, finish there. But uh, overall, I, I like the match a good bit and um, gave it three stars. So. Oh my god! I thought it was just as good. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> so as good as the opener. I thought so, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, okay. like considering who was involved and considering how old these guys yeah, were. Yeah, but I mean, I can't, I can't grade on a curve just because they're 60 <laughs> years old or whatever in there. But there was some decent, I, I guess there was like, the way the history played into the psychology was decent, I thought, I guess. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> so uh, now... There, got... there, may, there may be more of that coming up, so <laughs> this may be a reoccurring thing. I cannot wait until we get yeah, to Yeah, I, be, I bet there's one match in particular that, uh... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so Missy is with Mad Dog Vashon and the Assassin. Uh, Vashon has still got it on the mic. The Assassin's yeah. neck. We have to talk about the Assassin's neck. I thought, I thought that uh, I thought his mask was gonna pop off because I mean you talk about like barely squeezing a mask on a head. <laughs> it was like, barely hanging on for dear life. How does he get such a fat neck? Of all I don't know. It's, 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 it's very just like blubbery all around. Um, I did like Mad Dog stealing the microphone from Missy, too. Um, that was good. And, and uh, the assassin, he I guess he makes a big challenge, which I didn't quite understand this. Yeah, he calls out Dusty and says he, yeah. he, he, said he's, he wouldn't mind having a match with him. Um, that's not going to go anywhere, is it? I mean, right. yeah, that was uh, odd. We we saw a couple of that in these legend segments where the uh, where the legends were calling out each other. I don't know if they were going in for business and hoping that this nostalgia act would keep up or what. But um, <laughs> the assassin really added it on by calling out Dusty for like one final bout or whatever in Atlanta. So now we have another legends match. It's Ivan Koloff and Baron Von Reschke taking on Thunderbolt Patterson. And it was scheduled to be Bullet Bob Armstrong. But instead, because uh, Bob is injured, we get the son, 
Brad Armstrong. Thunderbolt Patterson gets on the mic, and just for your information, that was Johnny's pick for the best promo of the 70s right there. Thunderbolt Patterson. Um I did like I guess he's basing No, it. not not the nineties. <laughs> I, I I'm guessing he's just basing it on that one promo. because um, I haven't seen that many Thunderbolt Batters and promos. Um right. Ivan looks in decent shape, I thought. But what did you think of the match? Yeah, um I mean okay, I will say like the last Legends match I thought was too long for what it was. We'll get to the next Legends match. So th- so this one I mean I, I gave this one a star and a half too. Um, but my star rating on this one doesn't necessarily reflect my entertainment because I did kind of like this one. Um, this was definitely more sticky uh, as uh, we get some flash to start, and I thought Baron in particular, he pitched a really good fit on the outside, grabbed a chair and slung it and everything else, um, and then Baron does some comedy in the ring, which got the crowd going. He gets a claw hold on Brad, um, but, but, but uh, I mean, Brad's, a face in peril for like a minute. And then he, we get the hot tag to Thunderbolt that goes right to the finish, uh, chop to the throat of the Baron and the Baron goes down. So, I mean, I mean, the Baron was kind of treated like a jobber here. Uh, Koloff still had his demeanor and a couple of moves and looked pretty nice in what he did, but he was pretty limited. I thought Baron worked more, uh, throughout this match. So I entertained this for what it, I was entertained by this for what it was. It was a five minute match. I, I thought that uh, Larry Zabisco did um, was great on commentary talking up uh, Thunderbolt Patterson's psychology. Like he's saying, like all oh, those movements are really, really strategically important, and they actually give you advantage and stuff like that. And uh, I just thought that was some awesome BS from him on the commentary, you know. Um, right. But uh, yeah, I did, uh, no real like one star, I guess, if I had to give a rating, you know. Uh, yeah, Meltzer gives us one a uh, half a star. He gave the previous match a star in three quarters, by the way. Um, okay, so now... Um, oh, yeah, he also... Larry talked about Ivan and uh, Bruno and how the crowd was silent. Um, and, uh, you know, I just thought that that was a ni- another nice way of keeping the legends alive. You know, maybe even a kid who grew up watching Crockett maybe didn't know about Bruno and Ivan. And it's just nice that they're... Keeping those, keeping that story out there for anyone who watched this card. I thought. Sure. Yep. Sure. <sighs> now, Flair is back, and it's a flare. here we go. Flair for the gold. And basically, Arn comes out, and then Ollie Anderson comes out because the Horsemen are getting back together, and there's a lot of excitement. Uh, <laughs> is Tully going to come out? No. And it's not going to be Barry Windham because they've had issues with the Horsemen recently too. Of course. It's Paul Roma, and the crowd just doesn't react. No. No. Yes. Uh, I mean, even Roma in his promo <clears throat> acknowledges that what the people here might not know. So he even acknowledges that it didn't really get a reaction. Any thoughts on this notorious moment in wrestling history? Yeah, this, this is this is one to really go back and watch because I mean, the original graphic says the four horsemen will be reunited. Um, I mean, Orange in his tuxedo an hour before his match. Uh, Flair still called Oli his cousin, which I thought was humorous that they were still playing that up. Um, and then Oli comes out and he's like, yeah, uh, Wyndham, you know, Wyndham got the Tully or whatever. So it was so weirdly presented, um, where then, you know, once Oli says that Flair then says, oh, well, we're not worried about Tully right now, but let me bring out the newest member and his special guest, 
uh, Paul Roma, and that gets kind of a chorus of boos and huh and what. Like you can almost hear the conversations in the crowd and just the, uh, I guess, the bewilderment of uh, Roma being introduced here. Roma doesn't do any favors for himself by saying there was thousands of wrestlers to choose from, um, and they picked him, which kind of makes you feel like, well, why? Um, it, it's just a disaster overall. I mean, I mean, Flair at the end says the horsemen are reunited again, but you have Roma, you have a guy that doesn't wrestle, and Oli, um, so, so it's a uh, pretty terrible uh, grouping of the horsemen. Uh, Oli, by this point, seems like so far removed from what the horsemen are about as well doesn't he yeah i mean he felt like he should have been on the stage with the assassin and mad dog throwing out these challenges um that were never going to come to fruition yeah i mean i i I, there's nothing really to be said it's just such a stupid fucking thing yeah it's a disaster why couldn't they have bobby why couldn't they have chris benoit i mean they would they would add chris benoit i'm just thinking like anybody would have been better dustin in a heel turn doesn't like right. anybody would have been better than yeah that's like like when they say like oh there's thousands of other rest even like it would have been swervy but you know they were in the angle with the blondes like what if they would have brought both of them out and said you know here's the four horsemen and Oli's essentially the jj yeah then that would have I, mean, I mean there's so many ways they could have went with this that don't land on paul roma I mean, really, besides, like, Tom Zink, I can't think of anybody else that would have been about the equivalent as bad as Paul Roma. Bagwell? Yeah, I even him. Even, even Bagwell him. would have been yeah, better, yeah. yeah. Right, right. I actually think there were two guys who who would have been amazing. Like, if they'd have brought in Rude and Orndorff as the, as the other four. I mean... They, True. They, yeah, yeah, right older, there. older, but bang. I mean, Flair on Rude and Orndorff. That's a pretty badass-looking four horsemen, in my view. Yeah, you know, ready-made. And, of course, Flair, the ladies' man, Rude, the ladies' man, Orndorff, Mister Wonderful. Imagine those three guys out on the pole together. You know. <laughs> yeah, they've been good. Anyway, um, and I can see them all. You know, Rude was the U.S. champ. Um, Orndorff was the TV champ. Flair could have got a belt. You know, one of the world titles. Uh, that would have looked swank as well, you know. So sure. anyway, anyway, wasn't to be because they went with Paul Roma. Um, baffling. So uh, what happens now? Johnny Valentine comes out and joins Tony and Larry on commentary for the the ultimate kind of main event legends match: the NWA versus the AWA. Dory Funk Jr. versus Nick Bockwinkle. Dory comes out with Gene Kanitsky. Bot comes out with Vern. And, uh, well, take it away, Chad. I've, I've got a feeling we may be a little bit far apart on this one. Yeah, I don't know if I've still woke up from this match or not. Um, I, I, I feel like I'm in still a deep slumber. Um, Buck, Buck Wiggle has the long pants. Um, this starts off with some basic wrestling. Um, yeah, I just... I, I, this is a weird match. I mean, I get what they're going for, but I just didn't seem any focus. And maybe your thoughts will come to that, but it just seemed like a collection of rest hole moves um, without much of a focus. Maybe at the end we got a little bit when um, we got the pile driver from Dory. He had worked over the neck a little bit. 
Um, but but for the majority of this match, it just felt like kind of pretty bad rest holds. Um, like the head scissors Bach locks in. I mean, you know, God bless Bach at this age. But I thought, I mean, that was a awful head scissors. Like you could see the crowd through the opening of his head scissors. So it was not tightly applied it at all. Um, and, and the crowd was very, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in what you take from this crowd because the, the crowd gives no reaction hardly for the match. Um, Dory essentially works as NWA champion. He'll stick throughout the match. I thought Kaniski at one time grabs, uh, or goes to grab, uh, the boot of Bachwinkle. So that was kind of odd. Um, and then the match ends in a draw and all of a sudden the crowd gives it like an appreciative standing ovation. Mm. Um, which, which I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it felt like an appreciative effort that, yeah, these guys wrestled 15 minutes, but it wasn't entertaining to me. And I think if this would have been the only legends match, it might've been a lot better. But by this point in the show, we were, you know, 45, 50 minutes into these legends matches and I was kind of ready for something else. So I, uh, I gave the match two stars. Well, I mean, I, okay. Um, first of all, I thought Larry Zabisco is very good at talking about things like Dory's ring p- positioning and how he uses his body weight and stuff like that. He did a good job, especially as I got the impression from Zabisco that he hadn't really seen a lot of Dory. So this seemed like one of the first times he'd seen him work from what he was saying. Um, I'm guessing he just didn't encounter him in his in his career very much. Um, we got a swank head scissors escape from Dory at one point. Did you see that? A little uh, kind of a uh, kind of uh, I don't know how you describe it like a headstand escape. Uh, I thought box forearms were pretty sensational during the match. Um, Dory's uppercuts looked decent. I thought um, we got a really nice uh, kind of textbook Greco-Roman knuckle lock from the two masters at one point, and then. Uh, <laughs> I like a decent escalation of violence uh, towards the end where you had the suplex into the pile driver uh, backslide from Bockwinkle got two and I thought the finish was really hot um, with uh, Bock getting Dory into the figure four and uh, you know it was like a kind of hour draw distilled into a 15 minute match masterpiece I I loved it four stars (laughs) didn't really give it four stars Chad um, but the crowd did give a standing ovation. I, um, if I had to give it a rating, I would say about three and a half. It seems about fair. I thought it was very good for what they were doing. Um, and the crowd got into it through the hot finish, I thought. You know, they, they are able to build it up gradually over that 15 minutes um, so that people are actually popping for that backslide, for example. Um, although the standing ovation maybe went a bit far. But I guess it goes to show how much respect uh, these guys kind of had. Even Yeah, I, th- I think it was definitely a respect. I mean, that, you know, say what you will about Atlanta crowds, but this is a pretty good semblance of uh, they, they may be more, I guess, smarter or receptive to legends than you might think because they were uh, very appreciative here. Do you want to gather what uh, Meltzer gave this match? Uh, I'd be interested to know what he gave it. A star and a quarter. Okay, I, I think I already know what his analysis is going to be. Basically, it's the wrong match for the 
for the moment. He's wrong time. Wrong match at the wrong time, yeah. Yeah, I don't I mean I don't know. Like I said, I think if this was the only Legends match, I'd be much more appreciative, but I mean some of the holds and stuff, I just didn't get that sense of progression and almost felt like they were conducting a seminar, you know, like uh like like before the show as they were setting up the ring, these two guys decided to go roll around and show some of the workers how to perform certain moves and it didn't didn't have much cohesion to me. Uh, except for like the final moment like with the pile driver i think the story of the match is that dory's the chess master but bock is also the chess master so what do you get if you get two guys whose basic gimmick is wrestling psychology master it's gonna end in a kind of deadlock it's kind of gonna be like kind of you know like i don't know yoda versus the emperor or something it's gonna be pretty even stevens and that's basically the match they worked until we got to that Greco-Roman knuckle-lock sequence and it started to get a bit more violent. I mean, I, I, I think box forearms were probably the best strikes we saw on the show. Um, I don't know. It was, it was way better than it had any right to be, I thought, um, considering what what they were meant to be doing on this show. Um, but I, I can see a lot of fans finding it a bit slow going. Especially if they're not used to watching um, either of these guys, I, I reckon. So, right. Uh, I have to um, mention Larry Z putting himself over as ending box career. That was, <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. That was quite funny as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and by the end of the match, he was openly cheering Bok. Did, 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 did you like he yes, yes, was AWA was... biased? I yeah, think yeah. Was fun as well. Stick it um, to the uh, AWA <laughs> true blood there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, but I'd be interested if fans went back and watched that. Uh, I yeah, know- this is one that, uh, like a Matt D or Johnny Sar. I mean, I can imagine Johnny Sar would hate this match, but just to get a, I, th- I think there could be a wide range of opinions. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, it's like I think three and a half is the most I can feasibly give it. Um, I considered going higher than that, but I, I just thought that going higher than that would be trolling basically <laughs> um and, you know i i have to be honest and three and a half is about right also there were a couple of sloppy moments in the match i thought um and uh, i guess i'd put that i don't know if it's a ring rust from bock who i guess hadn't been in the ring that much or it's just the fact that the age of these guys you know i mean dory really stops being like good quote unquote in about 85 86 i would say Maybe even earlier than that. Uh, yeah, when when did he debut? That's when he stopped being good. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Eric, Eric Bischoff now is with, with two guys who thankfully didn't wrestle. Uh, Lou Thayers and Bob Geigel. Although, I wonder, I wonder if Thayers, like, said, can I get... Well, yeah, I mean, you know, Thayers did have that match in 1990 versus <laughs> Chono. So, he might have wanted to roll in there. Yeah. Um, they don't really say a lot. Um, what do you think of Geigel getting himself involved here? I guess he was a big, big wig, but yeah, he, he felt a little lost in the shuffle. I mean, they basically just put over the last match in the AWA versus NWA aspect of it. Yeah. I actually think it may have been really cool to have that as the theme of the whole card to have all of the teams be NWA or, uh, AWA and have it like play as a thing. Just, uh, just a thought really. Um, because they certainly had a lot of AWA guys um, who could have represented that side, you know. Um, okay, next match. Rick Rude and Paul Orndorff 
and uh, my biggest note here, the Tash is back, Chad. Uh, and what a cool-looking team, Rude and Paula. What do you think of them them two together? Man, the the crowd was all over Orndorff. He had nuclear heat. Um, I thought I thought this was a really fun opener with the arm work on the faces. Uh, and then Dustin took a sick bump over the top rope where he hit face first on the floor. And Rude and Orndorff really hone in on that. Um, Orndorff drops him over the guardrail. And then they start working him over. Um, I, I was just very impressed with the crowd heat on Orndorff. I thought it was uh, insanely great. Uh, we get the reversal tombstone spot between Rude and Dustin, which always gets a pop. Uh, there was a little bit of a weird spot here where Paul and Dustin bump heads. Um, I, I kind of didn't think they were on the same page or something got lost there. Uh, but that leads to S- uh, Sasaki getting the hot tag. I thought Sasaki clearly had kind of the worst heat of the four as far as being over with the crowd. That sort of stuck out in this match. Um, uh, But Rude does a bump off the atomic drop. And, uh, I I mean, he's just so glorious the way he sells an atomic drop. And then Sasaki does do a good thing on his part where he mocks the hip swivel. So that endears him to the crowd, and that helped kind of get him on his side. Uh, Power slam by Sasaki, um, and then it basically turns into all four guys are in there. Sasaki climbs up to the top rope. Orndorff's able to push him off, and then Rude is able to give him the Rude Awakening for them to win. So, I mean, Orndorff and Rude together as a team, it felt a little odd because these are two singles champions, and here they are in, you know, not a throwaway tag match, but kind of a mid-cardish tag match instead of defending their respective belts, but I thought they worked really well together, gelled really well together. I like this match a lot overall. I thought it was very fun. Went three stars. Exactly the same rating, Chad. I enjoyed this greatly. Three stars. Um, the elevation on the backdrop from Rustin, from Dustin on Rue was huge. Like uh, he, went, he must have gone about like 10 feet in the air on that yeah. backdrop. Yeah. It was massive. Um I, I I still kind of every time I see Sasaki I still kind of think maybe Hase should have had this run it would have been just, right because um, imagine if you slot him into this match suddenly this may even be a like a like a kind of lost classic or something but I, I just thought Sasaki brought things down a tiny bit on his end although I did like his um I did like the hot tag um at the end I thought he had decent fire coming in um so yep. Meltzer, Meltzer gave it two. Seems a bit stingy to me. Yeah, pretty stingy for that. Meltzer gets into bad moods, though, as we've seen. So he's kind of either down on a... <laughs> well, well I, I've, I've looked through his ratings, and I, I guess we'll see how you like the final three matches, but I think he gets pretty generous pretty fast coming up here. So In, we'll see. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, now it's the Hall of Fame ceremony. Um, Buddy Rogers, Andre the Giant, Pat O'Connor, Dick the Bruiser, Wilbur Snyder, Gene Anderson, all get a shout out uh, because, of course, they they're all departed by this time, and uh, we get a moment of silence for them. And uh, Soli doesn't give this moment of silence very long. I mean, it's a, it, <laughs> a moment really means like about four seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like he pauses and then he goes, "Thank you," <laughs> like immediately afterwards. <laughs> um. So, so basically, the inductees are Luthez, Vern Garnier, Mr. Wrestling 2, who got a really decent pop from the Atlanta crowd. Oh, yeah. Big, oh, yeah. big pop for Wrestling 2. And Eddie Graham, 
um, Mike Graham comes out to accept the award on uh, Eddie's behalf and is wearing the most ridiculous earring ever. <laughs> what do you think of Mike Graham's earring? Yeah, it is uh, curly hair. It was quite the ensemble. <laughs> so, um, and of course, Mike Graham's no longer with us either. No, no. Pretty, pretty tragic. Um, what do you think uh, of that? Well, Mr. Wrestling 2 is still... Is he still... No, he passed away then. I don't think any of these guys are... Um, Vern's gone uh, fairly recently. Oh, no. Mr. Wrestling 2 is still alive. Mr. That's Wrestling 2 right. still with us? Yes. Wow. Does he still wear the mask? <laughs> he, I, don't, I don't think many people know what he looks like. I mean, he still is in, like, Hawaii, I think. Interesting. Okay, well, what do you think of this as a kind of first class... Yeah, a really strong first class. I, I just love the way this was presented to me because you had the uh, kind of the the clippings and the old timey music and the the uh, stills pictures for the guys. And Gordon's a good narrator for this, especially with Eddie Graham. You could tell Gordon was getting a little emotional talking about that. Yeah. Um, they did say the Hall of Fame was in the CNN complex. I've been to that complex millions of times i never saw it even around this time so i don't know what that meant um but but yeah really strong class i thought and i thought this was a good classy presentation and didn't overstay its welcome and stuff like this is what i love with wcw i thought this was excellent yeah yeah i agree and i actually thought soli was starting to get emotional right from the get-go like you could just see like uh, little t- little glass in his eye but then right who, who knows with uh solely whether that was <laughs> um, a little liquid courage uh yeah. <laughs> building that yeah um so now missy is with uh, lord james blears oh and, boy and john tolos uh, <laughs> in a rather unexpected pairing uh i mean to be like you've got to be fair there was a lot of genuine legends on this show like in terms of big name guys and uh in the history of wrestling, but all being on one show. Right. right. From right all there. over the country too. Yeah. Um, uh, Blias gives uh, Missy an English monocle uh, at the end, which I thought was interesting, but uh, Tolos was pretty fired up in his promo, wasn't he? Boy, Tolos uh, had a little fired up promo and then he made a move on Missy. Did you see that? At the very end, he's like, yeah. you look very lovely tonight. So he was uh, he was really macking on Missy as we go back to Tony and Larry. So I enjoyed that greatly. Do you think you got any action that night? Possible. I don't know. It's possible. I mean, definitely possible. He looked pretty slick, actually, Tolos. Yeah, I mean, he looked, you know, as your older, successful businessman, he looked, you know, I can see how people would be into that. So now Sting is taking on an opponent called the, the Prisoner. And mm. As he comes out, there is a massive bullshit chant from the crowd. Yes. <laughs> who just shit all over this. I mean, yeah, this 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 whole uh, crowd made me proud to be uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, which doesn't happen all that often. But this crowd was awesome. <laughs> I mean, they they give the standing ovation, show respect. They were respectful, and then. Uh, you know, they chant bullshit at this, which is justifiable. Now, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, who is the prisoner, Chad? Well, it's our good buddy, uh, Kevin Kelly. Nails. Yes, yeah, not to be confused with the other 
the ROH, yeah, current ROH announcer. But uh, yeah, now so so we never heard of Meltzer, but what actually happened to Norton? If anybody knows, um, because you know they did wrestle on the Wrestling Dontaku show uh, at the beginning of May, him and Sting. And that match went to a no contest, and that's actually a pretty spirited, fun match with a real heated ending uh, that does feel like out of control, and the match has to get thrown out. So, kind of made me anticipate. You know, I mean, you know, nobody probably would have seen that match by this point in time, but uh, it would have been a good lead in for the blow off here. Yeah, I can't. For some reason, I cannot find um, Meltzer's review of this in the actual Observer. So, it's possible I'm missing a copy. It's possible I can't. I, I haven't. I've yet to find his uh, thing, and that's usually where he'd basically explain what happened. But I, I can't find it. Um, so anyway, I'm sure Peter F3 will immediately tell us. Yes, yes. Please help. <laughs> please help us out, Pete. Um, so th- I mean, this is like su- like basically a load of choking from the prisoner, um, and then yeah, that's like that's like the only movie knows is a choke. And then Sting get, comes off the top, and the three count is so fast that I wasn't even sure if it was a three count. I mean, it seemed like a two count to me. Right. Uh, it was, I mean, it dud, clearly. I mean, this is obviously rubbish. Oh, I went, I went a, a quarter star on the uh, on the top rope clothesline. But, uh, yeah, yeah, the, uh, the kick out... Uh, I mean, the prisoner's kicking out while Sting's pinning him, so I don't, I don't know why that happened. And yeah, I mean, the prisoner—the only movie knows is a choke. Um, he ends up choking him constantly, and uh, yeah, this was this was a waste of time. I mean, Sting—say what you will about Sting, but he deserved better than this on this type of show. Wasn't presented as like a current legend whatsoever. Um, just, just kind of a non-factor. Yeah. Rubbish. Um, and I guess he's gone. It's a one shot. It's just literally. Yeah, just yeah, this is it. In and out. Is he a contender for one of the worst wrestlers ever? Uh, he's got to be. I mean, I don't know what his best match would be, but I don't. I mean, I can't think of anything that was good. Um, I mean, Vir- really bad. Virgil on SummerSlam, maybe? Yeah, I mean, he, he is. Uh, for somebody that, you know, we have a decent amount of footage on, he's got to be up there. Just atrocious. I mean, comparing him to somebody like Sid, Sid looks amazing, like in retrospect. So now uh, Eric Bischoff is with another uh, pair of legends, the Crusher, who's looking smooth. He's looking cool. I thought the Crusher. And now mm-hmm. Ox Baker, who's not. Oh, now he had the best mustache I've ever seen. Did you see? <laughs> I mean, that was just a, uh, a glorious man. He did have a fantastic moustache, but um, yeah. I guess he like his skin looked very old and groggy to me. Uh, I yeah, guess. right. But um, uh, yeah, they, these two were quite fun. Uh, Baker is kind of throttling at Bischoff by the end of it, and yeah, like, well, he called out Dick the Bruiser too. So another <laughs> one of uh, another weird challenge that probably wouldn't come out. I did think Eric was like. You could tell he was kind of nostalgic for the Crusher, kind of those AWA vibes. Yeah, um, yeah he, he, you, you sort of felt like, uh, you know, you got TV producer Eric that feels very canned sometimes. And uh, here I thought, you know, you got a little genuine genuine bit of him being a fan of someone. I, I actually think that um, Meltzer, thinking about it now, missed a trick with, with his critique. I don't think it's because the... 
um, the the TV product was poor at putting over legends and things. Uh, although what you did say about Vince is true. He basically never mentioned the past. I think the reason that there wasn't more of this sort of stuff was because of the territorial nature of it. Like it's, right. it's clear on this show that Larry Zbysko has fond memories of Bok, but doesn't know Dory. Yeah. It's clear right. that like Bischoff maybe didn't know who Ox Baker was, but has really fond memories of the Crusher. And it's purely based on where they grew up. Like um, even uh, Shivani mentions at one point that, you know, where he grew up, Johnny Valentine was a legend. Um, and it's like, well, he's up bound to mean more to, you know, people who grew up in that area than people who didn't. So, and I, and I think now when everybody's grown up with basically the same product, WWE, it's easier to have that kind of legend of the past thing going on because everybody knows yeah. who they are. I agree with that. And also, you got to think about with these guys. I mean, if somebody was a heel and somebody was a face, back in their era, I mean, they didn't fraternize with each other. So, I mean, really the only time some of these people knew each other was when they was in the ring talking to each other. Uh, otherwise, you know, that, that was it. It was a strictly professional relationship. So now, uh, Steamboat and Douglas uh, versus the Hollywood Blondes, although it's, well, it's not really yeah. Steamboat and Douglas, it's Los Dos Hombres, um, right. uh, who pretended to be an up-and-coming luchador team and uh, got an upset win over the champs. Uh, but of course, as we know, this isn't really Shane Douglas. No, we uh, have the Zed Man uh, in another persona. Um, I, I thought they did a good job getting that cage made fast. Uh, that was pretty good, no, no, at no, least. Hold, no, hold on, is it the Zed Man or is it Brad Armstrong? Uh, Tom Zink. Interesting, okay. I, on the notes that I had, it was Brad Armstrong. But then those notes came from Scott Keith, so what do I know? <laughs> okay. So yeah, it's Tom, it's Tom Zink. He it's actually Zink, okay. does, yeah, he does his actual Zink. You know how Zink does his fist pump? Like, yeah, come on. Um, he, he actually does that on the apron at certain points where you can tell oh. it's definitely Zink. So what, what did you what did you think of this one? Um, I mean, to be honest, this match kind of made me sad because this is a feud I love, um, and this is a very, uh, in my opinion, anticlimactic end. Uh, I, I thought Austin and Pillman really bump well throughout this match. Um, a back body drop from Austin to the cage, which was a nutty bump. He gets slung into the cage. Pillman comes in, gets slung into the cage. Um, and then there's a great moment where Austin goes for a slam, but can't because of his hurt back. Um, and then uh, a suplex, Austin is suplexed into the cage and then basically gets hung upside down uh, from the cage, which I thought was good. Uh, it does result in a little bit of miscommunication where Zink goes for a splash and Austin falls, so they kind of awkwardly run into each other. Um, and then Pillman takes over, thought he was really vicious, choking and going for the mask. Um, Austin starts working over the leg. They kind of worked this in more of a tag structure with tags in and out and all that. Uh, assisted splash with Pillman, but he hits the knees and then the hot tag is made. Uh, Steamboat's all fired up here with his hot tag. Uh, this is when I know Zink was doing those mannerisms on the outside, cheering Steamboat on. Double punches for both guys. All four guys are in. A really great bump by Pillman off a drop kick as he goes head first into the cage really hard. Uh, and then Steamboat takes off his mask, climbs to the top, does a massive crossbody from the top, but that only gets two 
which I thought was weird that that was just a near fall. Double drop kick also only gets a two count uh, for the faces, and then Austin's able to hit a stun gun for the flash pin on Zink. So, yeah, this to me was a disappointing end to a great feud. I went two and three quarters. Um, well, I, I thought it was fun. <clears throat> I gave it three. Um, but uh, nothing else to add, really. I mean, it was, like, it's not as good as some of the other matches that we'll look at in the TV special. Um, and, yeah, it's dis- disappointing in the overall scheme of things, given that this could have been a four-star plus match. And it wasn't. Right, right. And then uh, Meltzer gives us one three and a half, actually. Well, this seems on the generous side, although right. I can see him completely marking for that uh, spot off the top. Yeah, yeah, that uh, splash off the top was great, the crossbody. Okay, well now Eric Bischoff is with Mr. Wrestling 2, Dusty Rhodes, and Stu Hart. Stu, yeah. Stu Hart seems like the most incongruous of all the legends to me, just because, <laughs> I mean, doesn't he? Doesn't he seem like he's completely, like, not of a uh, Yeah, it feels weird that he's there. I mean, I know David Boy Smith's his son-in-law or whatever, but it's just like, man, I mean, Stu Hart on the WCW pay-per-view just feels kind of odd. I, I, I think of all the, like, the revisionist history things... Stu Hart getting himself over as like a massive legend is part is one of the one of the best one of the <laughs> like cause, yeah because you'd think yeah, it was Lee says or something if uh, well like, I mean more than Mula I think Mula's number one but yeah Stu's up there M- Mula's definitely in there as well um, yeah but at least Mula can say she was le- legitimately the women's champion for like thirty years whereas, that's true um, I mean I don't know I mean, like, Stu's a promoter basically in my in my yeah, right right um, right. So now it's uh, Arn Anderson. To- oh, wait, you're not going to talk about Dusty's promo? Dusty's promo was amazing. Oh, okay. Well, why don't you talk about that? Well, I mean, Dusty basically, <laughs> he tells uh, he tells the assassin that his big ass is standing out here, so come and get some. And, I mean, the <laughs> crowd goes nuts for Dusty doing that. I, I, I mean, these, you know, Dusty's promos in WCW, I think, are very underrated because... They kind of, you don't know where they're coming. You know, they're out of context, but like that promo he does for that clash when Desert Storm was happening uh, to fire up the troops, and then this this little quick promo, and then we'll get to his uh, Fall Brawl 94 promo, you know, my partner. But, uh, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I think Dusty's got to be one of the five best promo men of all time. And just seeing this, like, reaffirms that because i mean this was nothing but i mean dusty saying like yeah my fat ass is standing right here come and get some and like the crowd is just going nuts like literally who wouldn't want to see dusty versus the assassin in 1993 but he kind of makes you want to uh just a <laughs> tremendous sell job i would love to just to see that <laughs> neck in action <laughs> okay. had to reinforce the ring but yeah <clears throat> So, so yeah, NWA title match. Uh, Wyndham's still the champ. He's taking on Arn. Um, what do you think of this one? Not a not a match that's talked about much. No, and this is one that I've been very disappointed by in the past by thinking it was just, you know, ho-hum to good. Uh, Arn comes out with a swank red jacket, four horseman jacket. Um, but, but, you know, this. I think before my problems with this is I felt this match was kind of rushed, and you look at the 10-minute runtime, 
and um, you're just kind of disappointed by that. But this time I went in and I watched how they actually worked, and I thought they worked this match really great. Really hot start by Arn. Um, he gets a really near fall right out of the gate and then does that this close mannerism yeah. where he, you know, he shows Wyndham how close he was to losing the title, which was great. Uh, Barry fires off at him and Arn's able to DDT him again for another real close near fall. And then Barry works him over. So they were really working at a frantic pace. Um, the match felt very accelerated and, uh, kind of worked towards the uh, sprint fashion, which I appreciated. Barry gets busted open. Orange starts making his comeback, and uh, Barry is really bleeding a, a gusher. Um, and probably the best blade job I can remember Barry ever doing. Uh, I thought the heat was good with the crowd rallying behind Orange. Orange gets drop kicked off the top rope and starts clenching his leg. Um, and then once that happens, where he's in the outside, I don't know if you noticed this part, but guess who's in the corner on the telephone? Gary Michael Capetta. <laughs> he was on the headset again, uh, chatting away at something. Don't know what, but there he was. Uh, so Barry suplexes arm on the outside and then gives his great float over suplex inside the ring for an air fall. Arn's able to power out of that, gets the spine buster, but Barry's able to retreat. I thought this was good in keeping Arn strong, where Barry did this throughout the match where he kind of retreated to the outside and had to regroup. Uh, Barry grabs a belt, acts like he's teasing a count out, but they go back inside. Anderson, uh, Randy Anderson, the referee gets whacked, and then Barry's able to hit Arn with the uh, belt and win. That was a little bit of a shoddy, kind of abrupt finish. But for a match that only went 10 minutes, was supposed to tell a story. I thought they did a really good job. The blade job helped. Uh, the frantic pace and stuff with the near falls and the pacing made Orange still look strong, even defeat. So I ended up giving this three and a half stars this time. I uh, a tiny bit higher, three and three quarters. Um, it was nice to see some blood. I thought the finish was actually, I mean, even though it was a little hokey, it was quite interesting that um, Arn is kind of like, you know, apologetic for hitting the ref, and then that's what gives Wyndham the opening to... So it's like the baby face is undone by his own kind heart type thing. I thought it was quite quite neat. Um, and also, it's the long-running Arn thing, that Arn, in his character, whenever he gets up into the, like the title match, usually does something to bottle it. It's like a little story that we'll see that runs all the way until he retires, which um, I think is quite, you know... In, like he's, it's not like he's a bottler, but he'll usually make a mistake or something, and there's a, a logical reason for why he loses the match. So I, right. I kind of quite like that. Um, on Capetta on the phone, that's probably one of the longest running where the big boys play memes now. And um, <laughs> if any of you Twitter guys, I don't know how they do it, but if anyone wants to go and like make uh, animated uh, gifs of Capetta on the phone, I'd love to see it. So there we go. <laughs> I mean, who knows, Chad? Some, I mean, we have had Gordon Coley, Soli comps in the past, so... That's true. That is true. Anything is possible. <laughs> Meltzer went three and a half on this match as well. Okay. All right. Well, it's fair enough. Um, yeah, there we go. And uh, now we get on to the main event, which is uh, the second world title match, the WCW title. Um, and it's Vader versus uh, British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith. Um, interesting uh, matchup in 1993. What do you make of this one? First off, there was a V-Hop sign, Vader House of Pain, which I enjoyed. I don't know what, I mean, I don't know if that was a play of IHOP or yeah, what, but I, uh, so, yeah. 
okay that was kind of weird but and it worked um and then uh so this match has worked a lot more deliberately than the match right before it um i thought it created a pretty good contrast but i think if like i watched one match on one day and one match on the other day i might see them as more equal whereas watching them back to back it really kind of reaffirmed that i like the uh the orn wendell match better so uh, this one starts off more methodically. Vader misses a splash and hits the guardrail flying over. Um, and then Dave Boy Smith works him over a little bit. Vader, again, kind of in what Wyndham had to do in the previous match. He regroups a lot throughout this match. Uh, David Boy Smith goes for the crucifix slam, but Vader falls back, and now he starts taking over. Uh, I thought the work here, again, I'm reiterating myself, but it was methodical, but it was beefy. So it wasn't bad. Um, and it just, I, I never felt like, uh, I never felt like Davy boy was much of a threat, which seems kind of odd because he does kick all kick out of the Vader bomb here, uh, which was nice. Uh, he hits a top rope headbutt and then starts doing an atomic drop to Vader. Uh, I thought the best spot of the match was Davy boy Smith lift Vader up in a nasty spot and then gives him the electric chair. That was pretty cool where Vader was on, uh, Davy boy's shoulders um, and then uh, Vader goes for a big splash, and Smith's able to just grab him out of midair and power slam him, which was good. There was a lot of interference from Harley Race in this match, uh, which was a little bit grating. I mean, we talked about how engaged Harley is throughout his run as a manager, and uh, that that certainly took hold here as he was interfering uh Multiple times throughout the match. He finally uh, interferes again. Dave Boy Smith goes on the outside, and then you have a sloppy spot where you can hear Harley like calling a spot on uh, on British Bulldog to get him out of the way. Vader comes in with a chair, uh, which gets the DQ. I thought that was a real shitty cop-out ending on a show like this. Um, so, so overall, I mean, I had this as a good match. So as a contrast to everything else. And then the final bit of the pay-per-view is they they're presenting vader as a monster so scorpio comes in takes a big bump flies away and then sting comes in gets a clothesline and hits a flurry on vader uh to end the show which i thought was weird because i really thought that should have been cactus jack's spot i mean the the feud with sting is over so i don't know why he was kind of the big guy to make the big baby face save at the end overall i'm winning uh, three stars on this one well, I think I liked it a good bit more than you, Chad. I, I gave it the same rating as the previous match, three and three quarters. I just thought it was so hard-hitting. The big spots uh, by Bulldog on Vader were pretty impressive, you know, the big vertical suplex. and um, I actually thought it was getting really getting going to be a decent match. Um, just the finish, really, kind of like you said, it was a cop-out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought they had a good thing going there. I th- like... Uh, Bulldog showed he had some power, and then Vader did start dominating, and I thought Bulldog was taking his kick in pretty well, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, I really liked it, but then I, I guess I am prone to, like, big spotty matches a bit more than you are, right? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I, I just thought this one a little bit was a little too deliberate. Um, but yeah, I mean, Meltzer gave it three three quarters too. So me and me and Dave there flying. The- uh, when when I watched <laughs> this with the '93 stuff, I went three and a quarter. So it dropped right. a little bit from that 
um, I, I, I had the matches switched where when I watched the 93 stuff, I liked this better than Arn and Wyndham, but this time I, I definitely liked Arn and Wyndham uh, as a match better. And I think I like the David Boy Smith uh, Vader clash match better too. We'll see if that holds true. I, I, I kind of like this 93 Davy Boy run uh, personally. Um, like yeah, well, you're still you still have high hopes for the Halloween Havoc match, so we'll the, see the, the, the when we one? get there. Yeah, well, I, I, mean, I still maintain that's a lost classic, but here we go. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen it in a, in a few years. Um, okay, so overall, then Slamboree. Um, thumbs up or thumbs down or in the middle? This is an interesting show for me because I didn't have anything above three and a half. Um, I did have, you know, a, a good smattering of good matches, though, four good matches. I think there's some crap, certainly, on this show between the Sting match and the Flair for the Gold. But between the the good matches as well as the Legend Ceremony sprinkled in, I, I would give it as a, a mild thumbs up. Uh, it's like on a scale of 1 to 10. This is probably like a 6, 6.5 in my eyes. Well, I mean, I've got seven matches at three stars or over seven and then i think it was yeah ten, yeah it was, well was, you get the yeah you got the two legends matches above or three stars or above which yeah. i uh, didn't so that kicks that over yeah so i i thought it was a lot of i mean nothing classic but i really uh had a good time watching this um but then i i guess i'm maybe i've got a bit more fondness for the 70s guys um, which may have played into things a bit more. Like, I, I mean, I've been watching them a bit more recently, and that could have played into things. Possibly. And certainly a fondness for Dory Font more than <laughs> any man alive. <laughs> so you may, may, maybe uh, you could. some people could claim that is bias on my part. But, uh, yeah, there you go. Not, not really. I call it down the line, as always. <laughs> mm-hmm. this, 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 this card was like your version of Wrestle Kingdom 11 for Meltzer. So, um, what? Uh, let's do the, the the end of show awards then. Um, match of the night. So, but you have to go for the Wyndham one, right? Yeah, mine's a uh, Wyndham versus Orn. I think I'll go with that one too. Out of the like, even though I've got them both at three and three quarters, I think if I had to pick one, I'd go with the Arn Barry one. Um, the blood, I guess, and. You know, just little things, the float over suplex, the spine buster. I mean, it's Arn versus Barry, you know. Um, they've had better matches, though, as we've discussed before. Um, mainly that TV one that I misreviewed, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, well, both, I mean, both the ones from 91 and 92 were good. But this, I mean, you know, this felt kind of like an abbreviated version of that. Like what you'd see in WWF sometimes where the third match is the real heated, like, blow-off with the quicker pace. Yeah. Um, like if they did a three-match MSG series. But but the match I really want to know people's opinions on is Dory versus Bok. Um, yeah, I really yeah. Do. Um, okay, so MVP then. This should be interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, because, um, cause, you know, feels kind of like a cop-out to give it to Steamboat, but, I mean, he did do that big dive off the top. I thought he was good. Um, I'm going to go, I think, with Arn Anderson, yeah. just because he, you know, this is one of his only, this may be the only pay-per-view uh, world title shot he ever gets. I can't think of another one right offhand. 
so so this is it and i thought he did well in the moment um with his mannerisms and everything and didn't feel just kind of like job fodder so good job to him yeah i'm i have to really think about this um there's a lot of people who it could go to um which is not actually a sign of brilliant work up and down the car. It's just a sign that a lot of people were quite good, I thought. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to give it to Paul Orndorff, believe it or not. I thought he looked pretty good in that match. Yeah, now he's yeah he's someone that would be a contender because, I mean, again, his heat was insane. Like, he may have been the most hated person on the roster on this night. I, I also thought Rude looked amazing in that match as well, like, uh, considering he was being out injured and so on. He... He did a lot of good stuff. However, I'm leaning towards um, giving it to somebody in the, one of the last two matches. Or, of course, I could just give it to Dory for comedy value. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I actually thought Larry Zabisco was really good on commentary for the whole card as well. Um, showing that I'm not such a Jesse Mark that I hate all other colour guys. I think, basically, I'm going to give it to... On as well, though. I think you're right okay. on balance. There we go. Um, so there we go. There's a lot of... I mean, I like, we didn't really talk about it, but I thought Pillman and Austin were good in that match as well. You know? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. They bumped tremendously in the gauge. Okay, and now there is the Billy Graham Award winner, and for me, there's only one person to pick, so who are you going to give it to? Oh, I wonder... I have two. Um, Paul Roma's my honorable mention just because of yeah. the atrocity. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm giving it to the prisoner for it, me. I mean, it has to be, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just rubbish. Um, <laughs> so, just, just terrible. Um, yeah. uh, although I, I mean, kind of don't like Van Hammer. So I did maybe like for spite, I would have given it to him. But... <laughs> and uh, Zenk sn- snuck on the car without my knowledge. So. <laughs> Uh, no, I'll give it to Prisoner. So yeah. we ended up with the same picks, did we? Yeah, there we has go. That, has that ever happened? Clean sweep? I don't think so, <laughs> and that's kind of weird on the show. I feel like we were a good bit apart on for most of it, so that's kind of weird. Um, all right, so where do we go? Is there a clash after this now? Yeah, the next one is, uh, what is it, Clash of the Champions 23, and that's when uh, Flair makes his big return to uh, face the Hollywood Blondes. Um, and uh, b- before we sign off, Parv, I did want to say a, f- a few things on uh, Adam Sheck, okay. who uh, passed away, cross-faced oh, chicken oh, yeah, wing yeah, yeah, yeah. on uh, Pro Wrestling Only. Um, this is kind of the first podcast I've been able to do on the Pro Wrestling Only feed since since he passed away. And uh, he, he was somebody I only knew through wrestling until I learned about his uh, cancer and uh, then talked to him sporadically over the year with his battle. Um, but but it's it's kind of tough when someone dies that you only know kind of through a message board or through a username to uh, – I don't want to make this, you know, a self selfish, you know, this is about Chad uh, siloquy, but just, just knowing, like, being able to become – Facebook friends and follow his journey um, through the last year with his cancer. It, it was very kind of heartbreaking for me uh, because I can, you know, I've, I've experienced death in my life, but I've been very fortunate 
and that all four of my grandparents were still living. Uh, my sibling, my brother's still living. My parents are living. So, so I haven't uh, experienced many close deaths. And through that, you know, a lot of times I do feel a little bit immortal at my age of 30 and stuff like that. And just seeing his battle and seeing him slowly kind of drip away at life was very heartbreaking. And beyond that, just for me personally, I mean, this was a man that loved wrestling, um, that loved sports, which are two things that I also enjoy greatly, and had a wife and had two small sons that are going to be about the age uh, that my two sons will be uh, in difference. And when when something like that happens, it really makes you question things, Barb. I mean, that could be me. I mean, throughout that journey, I, I really thought about that a lot, that, you know, this could be me and just how heartbreaking it would be to leave my wife and uh, my two kids uh, if something like this happened. So, you know, Adam talked about how the podcast helped him. Mm-hmm. And it's always amazing to hear uh, then anybody really listens to what we have to say about wrestling, but especially in that regard that, you know, somebody that was struggling, that was in pain was using us for an outlet to help him get through the day yeah. and help him cope. Well, I mean, one of the little things that not a lot of people would, would know is that right back in the day, back when I even had the idea to do this, I contacted two people, Chad, you and Adam. Um, so, I mean, the, like in a, like if you know if he'd have wanted to do it that could like he he very well could have been a co-host of this show you know um right right and he was actually on the docket to uh host a show with us i know he was in the the when we first started getting guests he was on there um was on it so so i did get a nice note actually while we recorded i i sent him a message a couple days before he passed away on facebook yeah. Uh, just just telling him that we were thinking about him with the uh, wrestling community and everything. And, uh, of course, didn't get a response from there. But uh, I did get a response while we recorded about an hour ago from his wife, Juliana, uh, you know, just sending her gratitude to everything we've done um, and just kind of living up uh, his memory throughout these shows. Yeah, I mean, very sad to lose such a valued member of the community. I had a little moment, Chad, when I was just looking over uh, Greatest Wrestler Ever results uh, one night randomly, and I saw all the way down, and it was like number one, Ric Flair, and then all the people who voted for him, and I saw he was there, and it's just like so, I don't know, it's just just strange that somebody who you've kind of got to know a little bit is uh, no longer with us, you know? Right, right. I mean, just, just anything like that. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at like, a picture I posted on Facebook and like that he liked it, you know, I mean, just a, just a month before he died. I mean, just again, somebody I never met face to face, never had a phone conversation with, but, uh, knew him through the message board and then knew him a little bit more through his journey on a more personal level the past year. And, uh, really, really calls into question how fragile life can be. And, um, you know, that I'm proud that we are able to provide an outlet for at least one person in Adam uh, for what we do here. It gives a sense of worth. Well, thoughts to his family uh, still. Okay, Chad. Well, um, thank you very much uh, for everyone who's listened to us. 
And, uh, I mean, we're not going to be able to do a show now until after Christmas, until the new year, because, like I said, I'm not going to be with uh, internet. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to reconvene in early January, Chad. All right, everybody have a great holiday season, and we'll see you in 2017. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.